The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spodcast, Season 6, Episode 7. My name is Timitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. We also have Amy Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Home of the crack. And did they did they did they secure their 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 um, playoff spot yet? I I have to look. I'm embarrassed to say that it's been a busy few days at work, and then everybody's been talking about a season opener for the Mariners. So I got to oh. see. But they have these overlapping schedules. Doesn't make sense. Just do them back to back. Basically, the same thing we talk about with streaming. Don't have them overlapping. Over make them back to back. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we have they, the Raptors, have, Raptors and the Leaf, and then we have nobody else. Like, sorry, we shouldn't say that. We have the ladies. What is it? What league that won the, the big Isabella Cup? Oh, well, they, we, yeah, we had the six. They won the championship last weekend, right? The Toronto Six, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Seattle has not clinched a playoff spot yet, but uh, it's it's pretty bunched up there at the bottom of the Western Conference, so we'll, we'll see. Well, I've, I hear the Leafs have since their spot, you know. They have, but that's because the uh, Eastern Conference, once you get past about the ninth team, is pretty terrible. So, Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Well, don't worry. They'll, they'll lose in the first round of the playoffs. That's, that's tradition here in Toronto. Oh. They will be playing Tampa Bay again, so it's a distinct possibility. <sighs> wow. That's how it goes, because <laughs> that's the way that stupid NHL playoff system works, is they want you to play your division rivals, so it means that... Uh, no matter how you break it down, they either have to play they have to play Tampa in the first round, and they'll they might have home ice, which will be nice, but they'll still have to beat Tampa, which is the defending Eastern Conference champions. And then if they win that, they will have to play the Boston Bruins, best team in hockey, by a good distance. So wow. if they are going to win a Stanley Cup this year, and I would not put a dime on that, yeah. then they will have a hard, hard, hard path. They only have to win sixteen games. Look at it that way. That's true. They just have to beat great teams for 16 straight games. Yeah. Well, not straight, but they can lose a few here and there. But but that's that's the reality of winning the Stanley Cup. It's not like a bracketed system where you get one shot and you're done. Yep. Right. Anyway, on that pleasant note, let's move on to the fact check. <laughs> All right. So God of War is the app that I was thinking about that appeared on iPad at WWC, not God of Guns or whatever it was. What was God? What were we talking about last week? God of God Guns. of something. We were talking about the Halo thing, the mm. gods of something. I don't know. Oh, um, Gears of War. Gears, Gears of, of War. Gears of yeah. War. That, yeah. That's what yeah. we were talking about last week. There yeah. Go. So gods of war. And to me, they're all the same. It's like sports ball, right? <laughs> anyway, 
But that's that's the app that came out on, and they were I guess they were bragging about how wonderful the iPad was because I could run that game on it as well. And we were talking last week about the man from Uncle Robert Vaughn is played Napoleon Solo, who I couldn't remember either of those two names, and David McCallum played Ilya Kraken in the 1966 version of Man from Uncle. And the kiddos may not know David McCracken, but they would know him as uh, the doctor on NCIS for a while. And they might know Robert Vaughn as the bad guy from Bullet if they ever watched that classic movie. Or he was also one of the the um, the uh, cowpoke gunslinger guys in the, in the original Magnificent Seven. <laughs> but I was wrong about Mary Tyler Moore, though. She did do that thing where she was the she was the secretary to Richard Diamond, private detective played by David Jensen, also the fugitive, right? And only her legs appeared on camera, but she wasn't, it wasn't the man from Uncle, but she did, I was right about the role, but it was wrong about the TV show. That's the fact check for this week. So we'll move on to headlines and Jonathan's up with something Star Trek related. Yeah, it's a great week for Star Trek news. We got a bunch of stuff. So uh, I will start with a new series announcement, uh, CBS and Paramount. Formally announced Star Trek colon Starfleet Starfleet Academy, a new series that will follow a group of uh, cadets at Starfleet Academy. This is coming to uh, Paramount Plus, and who knows here uh, internationally if it will be because uh, it's a new property. I don't know if there's a standing agreement. It's going to be on Crave here. It's going to be on CTV Sci-Fi. They haven't said, but. Uh, yeah, new series. They haven't said too much about it, but they also said that uh, they are going to uh, be producing this and that it's expected to come next year. So that's pretty cool. Um, and they still haven't said uh, what's happening with that Section 31 spinoff, which uh, as as uh, our, our fine colleague Jaime Lopez Jr. pointed out uh, in our Slack chat earlier today, uh, the price of which has gone up significantly since the star Michelle Yeoh is now uh, an Academy <laughs> right. Award winner. Uh, but um, yeah, I think this is, we were just talking about the fact that obviously with Picard wrapping up and Discovery announcing its final season, that there was only going to be the one live action show that is Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So now we know there's actually going to be at least two going forward and uh, yeah. So what do you guys uh, think? I mean, this, this seems like a project that has been a no brainer for 45 years. Like it just seems like it's been lingering out there for a long time to do a Starfleet Academy series. Yeah. I don't know. It's, well, it's, it's a bit like the first JJ uh, Abrams Star Trek movie where they, they, you know, they had James Kirk and McCoy running around, you know, in, in the Starfleet Academy at the beginning of that one, and, and a bit like Lower Decks too, I guess, right? As long as it doesn't end up like Police Story or was that uh, Police School or where that, that franchise was. You oh, know? Police Academy? Police Academy, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I want that, actually. <laughs> I didn't want that before, but now I do. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see because we haven't really gotten that... Um, that experience beyond, you know, a few flashbacks or a few uh, teases here and there of like uh, the Kobayashi Maru or, you know, which we've seen in some other shows. And I, I am kind of hoping that they make, um, you know, Boothby in some sort of way, give a little nod to uh, to him because it seemed like he was a, a recurring character throughout, like captains getting to, um, to know the groundskeeper. So that might mm. be a nice little, you know. A tip of the hat to the character and it's you know it's different right like we've 
got such a an embarrassment of riches when it comes to Star Trek that uh, exploring the what happens when you decide that yes, I'm going to leave perfect utopian life to uh, to go you know, scrub some plasma conduits <laughs> and maybe someday I'll become a captain or maybe someday I'll be uh head of engineering or something like it's just something we've never really seen. So seeing people who are a bit more raw and not, uh, you know, well-trained regulation Starfleet is uh, maybe kind of like a, 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 you know, high school musical version of Star Trek Enterprise, right? It was like, oh, this is all brand new. It's like, well, there's established stuff, but uh, you don't know it because you didn't read that far in the book. <laughs> so now the professor, now Professor Michael Winslow is going to dunk on you <laughs> with, some, with some sweet sounds describing your, your mediocrity, right? <laughs> I bet you could do a hell of a tricorder sound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think this is cool. I mean, uh, like I say, it's it, they kind of hinted at it a little bit way back in the TNG j- days when they did the whole like Wesley Crusher storyline. The Robert Duncan McNeil when when he was uh, just a, a, a an ensign or not even an ensign, he was a cadet uh, before he got his job on uh, on Voyager. And they did that whole storyline that seemed like they were kind of maybe thinking back to our pilot on that one, but it never really came to be. And yeah, it just feels like this has been sitting there. It's, it's like the, uh, you know, at some point someone's going to do the, the star Wars, you know, Jedi Academy kind of deal too. Right. Like it just feels like those are the easiest projects to realize. You just have to, you know, set it at the school and then come up with, I, I, I guess that's the thing is how, you know, it's going to be a little more grounded. It's obviously not going to be out exploring space. So how do they keep that, you know, it's going to be like Riverdale or the Archies, you know, kind of, well, that's what I'm wondering. Is it going to be like Buffy or, or, or Riverdale or any of those sort of like, you know, team or, or uh, something? Kid or, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Cobra Kai. Yeah. Like it seems like that. And and you know what? Those work. They like clearly there's a reason why the, we're listing off a ton of different series that that, that formula works. Or, or right? anything on YTV up here, right? Like, yeah, really, really. No. Yeah, no, it's good. Or that show that Ariella Grande was on. I see her all the time on TV. Oh yeah, yeah. She was on uh, one one of those Nickelodeon or Disney Saved shows. Saved by or the boss or rung by the bell or something. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> well, so this this leads us back into uh, more Paramount Plus news. So this week they also announced that they are uh, renewing Strange New Worlds for season three and Lower Decks for season five. Before we even got seasons two, oh, we haven't. Oh, this is a new announcement for for upcoming seasons. Oh, okay, yeah. Cool. So they so they announced when we're going to get season two of Strange New Worlds. They said it's going to premiere on June fifteenth. So we didn't know okay. that previously. And they did say mm-hmm. season four of Lower Decks does not yet have a complete date, but it will be late summer. So that makes sense. That's usually when we see that as sort of August area. So yeah, I would imagine probably sharpening the pencils and grinding the ink down and stuff like that. Yeah, that's it, right? So getting the pixels all lined up. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to basically be, uh, you know, most of the summer. If you do ten episodes of uh, Strange New Worlds, then you you know you have a week off, and then you jump right into ten episodes of Lower Decks. So, and then, yeah, renewals. So it's it's always a good sign when they renew the series before you even see the next season. That means that that the, the studio has already seen what they've seen and like what they like and think it's going to be good and have enough faith in the in the showrunners and the and the actors and everyone involved production that they they want to make more so it bodes well for the next seasons of Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks. But it also means, as I said, uh, you know. 
stability in this world where we're we're getting to the end of Picard. We know that Discovery is going to end next uh, January, starting next January. But then, you know, we know that we're going to get these again, and we know that we're going to get Starfleet Academy, and we know we've still got more Prodigy coming. So, yeah, like good time to be a Trek fan. Hmm. Sure. Speaking of spinoffs, well, you know, we talked about card ending but maybe not entirely so good uh good story this week uh that i've put into our show notes here from uh gizmodo uh io9 talking about how you know the the popularity of this season and the popularity of the new characters they've introduced in this season are starting to sort of uh you know, percolate, and they're getting to the point now where apparently the uh, people who are involved are talking about, you know, hmm, maybe it's not the worst idea to consider a spinoff based around whether it's the Titan or based around just some of the characters. But, you know, we, we talk about the characters that they've introduced or rein, reinvigorated. So again, mm-hmm. we've got the, the, we got Shaw, of course, who's, who's been a real fun, you know, uh, wise cracking captain. Who's been a fun character. We've got Sydney and Alondra LaForge, of course, uh, Jack Crusher. We still have, you know, seven of nine. We still have, you know, other characters, uh, you know, Raffi, there are sort of the non legacy, although you could argue Jerry Ryan said legacy character, but there are, some non-legacy new characters that would definitely be interesting to explore the next generation of the next generation. And so apparently this is something that is uh, at the, at the very least being discussed. What do you guys think of the idea of continuing in this particular era of Trek and in this, uh, you know, keeping with some of these characters who we've, we've enjoyed this last little run. We see it in network television all the time with, you know, CSI this and CSI that and Law and Order this and Law and Order that. I mean, it's, you know, once they once they, they hit on a pretty popular formula, they just change, you know, oh, we're in Chicago now instead of L.A. and whatever, right? So um, I could see that. I could see that happening. I mean, uh, and obviously Trek, I think they can also go by the numbers, right? Trek seems to be pretty, I mean, it's done a lot more. It's been much more successful, you know, with the reintroduction of, um, notwithstanding Discovery, Discovery is kind of its own thing, but Lower Decks and, and Strange New Worlds have sort of been surprises, I think, to a lot of people, right? Um, and it's and it's a tried and true formula where they take something successful and they just slightly change it a bit, you know? Um, you know, I think it's realistic to think that Patrick Stewart isn't going to be Picard forever. I mean, let's be realistic, you know? Because um, that's just the way life is but you know there, there's no reason why the younger folks like like um seven of nine or you know or maybe there's gonna be a barkley spinoff who knows right <laughs> one, one can dream or more and maybe more will actually get some lines to say in in a show right <laughs> but uh yeah i mean and and obviously like with the i mean they've even joked about making a a live action version of of lower decks with the actors because they're all pretty young as well right mm-hmm Although they don't all look exactly like their voices or their they, character, I mean, <laughs> they do a little bit. They do yeah, a little. I mean, the bit. guy that plays the the the, the guy with the cyborg implant, oh, Rutherford. Yeah, yeah, he's not. And yeah, Eugene Cordero definitely looks a little bit different than Rutherford. He, that's could wear, for sure. he could wear heels. I mean, it works for Tom Cruise. It could work for him, right? Yeah, and again, it's sometimes it's just you know little prosthetics or a little CGI after effects or whatever. Yeah, like the Hobbit and, and Gandalf. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the actress that plays Tendi isn't green either. I'm sure we can figure that out, right? Right. Okay. Right. But uh, but yeah, I think I think it would be funny. Uh, yeah, was it Noel Noel Wells? Um, yeah, it. Uh, you know, I think I think it's fun that we're getting into an era where you know anything's possible and the idea of doing a spinoff of this you know based on this season which has been terrific i think i'm i'm i'd be down for that for sure cool yeah all right let's get into some marvel news so we'll start with uh the most sort of interesting surprising news of the week which is uh disney fired uh the chairman of the board for marvel ike Perlmutter. Um, we, I think I've mentioned Ike's name before. He was famously uh, the person at Marvel who tried to get Kevin Feige fired and lost this sort of power struggle over, you know, the television slash movie world. He was sort of the senior person in charge for a long time of that. And he was the one who was sort of pushing the agenda of, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Ghost Rider and Inhumans and that stuff on ABC uh, that kind of in the end sort of fizzled out and was replaced by the Disney Plus stuff. Uh, but he was, a you know, he was sort of the lost in the annals of history because apparently Ike was not the most um, fun person to work for. Apparently, he's quite quite a miser, quite a penny pincher, uh, according to these articles, it's allegations. But also, uh, he was definitely, um, you know, responsible in a way for keeping Marvel alive when things were looking very bleak. He was the one that negotiated the deals that basically licensed out X-Men and Spider-Man to other filmmaking companies that ended up basically making the original Spider-Man movies, the original X-Men movies. And that infusion of cash kept Marvel alive long enough for the sale to Disney to go through in order to basically revitalize Marvel and make it the monolith that it is today. Without Ike, Marvel dies. So again, dropping him... Even while admittedly he'd lost a lot of power and he he was sort of, you know, no longer quite as important in the grand scheme of things. It's a big deal. This is a big deal. This is this is somebody who, while admittedly not necessarily the nicest person, was was, you know, instrumental in keeping Marvel alive when it was teetering on the brink of bankruptcy. And, and uh, yeah, so pretty surprising news. This comes amidst Disney laying off 7,000 employees to try and wow. uh, try and get $5.5 billion, it says, is what they'll they'll gain in the long run by hmm. these layoffs. I imagine Ike himself made a quite substantial amount of that money because uh, to be the chairman of the board for Marvel probably pays you a couple bucks. Hmm. Right. But yeah, it was, uh, it's, this was surprising. There's some really good pieces that are sort of out there. If you're, if you're into that sort of behind the scenes boardroom drama kind of stuff, there's some interesting stuff about this, but yeah, like I say, this is not nothing. This is a big deal and it, it does change fundamentally how things could be done over there, particularly because Ike was responsible primarily at this point for the Marvel world that is the, the publishing world the marvel comics stuff so it'd be interesting to see what the long-term ramifications are there and who replaces them and how that goes but yeah, yeah. it's interesting you, you mentioned the whole disney streaming thing because I was, I was listening to an episode on another podcast they played uh you know sometimes they put like a one podcast will play another uh show's episode and i was listening to an episode of, of marketing against the grain and i apologize i don't know who's on it uh, oh, it looks like Kip Gardner and um, Kieran Flanagan. 
Um, but they were talking about, one of them was talking about the fact that uh, they were talking about the comparison between the studios and streaming and, and the con like apparently streaming has hit a lot of the streamers hard in that they're not, they're not getting the revenues they expected as, as we've talked about before on the show, but, but it was really interesting that the numbers in terms of drop, um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I'll get them for next week, but, um, but yeah, it was quite interesting to hear that the difference in, in, you know, dollars and cents between, you know, a TV show and a, and a movie versus what, and broadcast versus what they're actually getting for this on streaming services. And, and that's why there's all this sort of shakeup in, in, um, services that are doing streaming, like the, the Netflixes and the Disney's and that kind of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Like to us, it sounds like it's coming from left field, but when you, when you look at the marketing dollars that are involved and stuff like that, it, it really isn't right. It's, it's not, it's not surprising. They're no, doing all these layoffs and stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you're right. We talked about it previously how, you know, I mean, I I defy you to find the difference. Having watched like Mandalorian this week, find me the difference between the effects budget and scale and scope of what they're doing on something like Mandalorian versus what they're doing if they're doing a production for a film. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's mm-hmm, quality mm-hmm. is so high. It must cost them a ton to make each one of those episodes. Sure. Yeah. And then you think about that times the number of series that they've committed to, you know, the Marvels, the Star Wars, the Lord of the Rings, like all these things. It's an expensive proposition. No wonder these companies are, you know, trying to figure it out. And again, we talked about the flawed model, right? The flawed model is they are trying to do this based on get more subscriptions, get more subscriptions, get more subscriptions. Well, that runs out. That doesn't always work forever. So, yeah, it's interesting. And, and they pretty much agreed with, with what I was saying before about the fact Netflix does it wrong by delivering everything all at once, right? And this is yep. why Netflix is bleeding so much is because they don't, they don't create the hook that keeps people coming back every week, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, this one was uh, also out of left field and extremely surprising. Uh, Jonathan Majors, the actor who plays Kang uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, was arrested on Saturday and charged uh, with strangulation, assault and harassment after a domestic dispute in New York City. Mm-hmm. The New York Police Department has confirmed uh, he claims innocence and obviously this will play out in the courts. Uh, but this is a pretty scary and upsetting uh, development, especially when you consider that uh, Jonathan Majors was intended to be sort of the the linchpin of the next phase of Marvel and be the big bad. Um, you know, it, it's pretty scary, uh, these allegations. It's pretty upsetting. And, you know, uh, while certainly it remains to be played out in, in court and it remains to be, uh, you know, hopefully the truth will come out. Uh, anytime that a, a star of your franchise is uh, accused of anything like that is pretty severe and uh, could have pretty major ramifications, you know. I mean, there's it's not out of the realm of possibility that they have to recast or make other decisions right. around those kinds of things. And, yeah, that's, that's not nothing. Yeah, and it's it's that same debate we've been having over and over about separating the artist from the art and... and mm-hmm. um, and also the you know we had we had our friend John Gameshi in in Canada who was you know a pretty mm-hmm. popular TV radio host and and was accused of a similar thing, um, yeah and and that just went real south um, real fast and yeah I mean it's uh, you know I almost you know you know when I saw this in the in the notes today I thought oh here we go again another another case where do we boycott this movie do we boycott mm-hmm. this franchise do we boycott this actor. Is he innocent until proven guilty? All those sort of things, you know, that, that 
um, you know, how much slack do, slack do we cut, cut him, you know, that kind of stuff. And yeah, so it's, it's, it's an awful, awful position to be put in <laughs> as a, as a viewer, but also, you know, mm. it, you know, yeah, it's, we, like you said, we got to wait and see what, what's going to happen with this. Right. I mean, who knows? He might run for president next week, for all we know. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Had to get that in there, I mean, sorry. I, mean, I know we've talked about this before, but, uh, you know, when you've got somebody like this who's sort of on the... I mean, he's already a star. Like He's the star of, of the new Creed movies, yeah. the star of a previous movie, star of the latest Ant-Man movie, and we know, like, they literally named a, one of the Avengers movies after this character, so we know he's going to be huge. Does it, does it give you the willies? Does it, does it make you nervous? Yeah, and uh, I'll I'll call out some of the uh, the mainstream media that I saw that like covered this from such a weird angle of like, oh, you know, he's got this like new movie coming out that was, uh, you know, it's Sundance. I'm like, Sundance, are, are you not paying attention to the like very large economic effects that this has? Like, if you're going to completely bypass the whole, uh, you know, uh, human interest story around uh you know domestic violence and other things right if you're gonna go talk about like purely the economics like no offense to indie filmmakers but like your film does not change an entire industry (laughs) normally right maybe it will maybe i'll be wrong and this was the changing one but like this dude here is like you said the face villain of billions of dollars worth of movies right yeah with lots of people at stake so it's like well what are you going to do? Is, is Tig Notaro going to replace him? There's no Christopher <laughs> Plummer. We know that, right? Like, well, what's happening here? I'm like, oh, wow, it's just mind-blowing. Like, this is, a, a, in many ways, uh, quite a bit different than the Justin Roiland stuff, right? Where it's like, yes, he is very uh, well-known as the, the voice of Rick and Morty, but you can find pretty good voice actors who can imitate that voice style, right? Uh, will they bring the the same sort of pizzazz and freestyle uh, that's a little bit different, but you could have somebody replace. How are you going to replace this dude? Like, oh, uh, well, we did establish that, you know, Spider-Man could look like Tobey Maguire or Tom Holland or Andrew Garfield. So like, ah, Kang is just different in this multiverse and then just move on. Uh, bring, um, uh, I cannot remember that dude's name. The, the first, um, the first roadie before uh, Don Cheadle. Oh, Thomas uh, Howard? Yeah. Tim Howard? Uh, Terrence Howard? Howard. Terrence, Terrence Howard. Howard. Yeah, yeah, they bring that dude back. Did you be like, emphasize that fact too? They're like, oh yeah, that's right. Like, there's maybe some ways to write around this, but it's, you know, ignoring the, you know, the going through the, the criminal justice system and, and what's true and what's not. And like, there's all of that stuff, but the, the economic impact of this could be pretty large. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you know, the, the worst part of it is, He's a really talented actor. Like this is he's good. He's good at what he does. And yeah. that's almost the most disappointing part is, you know, like he seemed you know, I didn't I can't profess to know a ton about him, but you know, it seemed like his trajectory was straight upwards, you know, to you know, his performances on a on a few different things over the past few years in addition to now this huge part in the in the Marvel universe. And he's he's delivered like he was he was terrific in Loki. He was really good in the he was probably the best part of that Ant Man movie. Yeah, and it's just like, damn it! Like it's it's the same way I kind of felt with the Justin Roiland thing. Like, damn it! But I liked you, and now I don't like you anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, like again, it remains to be proven. Obviously, this you know it's before the courts, and you know it'll come out as it comes out. 
but you know, again, just anytime these kinds of things are are tied to to a, a you know somebody who we cover, it's it's just disappointing and it's saddening. And what do you do? Do you put the, when you when somebody's on the rise and they're going to be the new face of? Do you put them in a in a in a silk lined box and don't let them out kind of thing so they don't get out there and mess up in real life? Like it's kind of it's disappointing, but this just seems to happen over and over again. You know, these 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 human beings who have human characteristics and flaws. And again, we don't, like you said, we don't know. This has not been proven in court, and even it. it and will it ever even? Uh, we have the kangaroo court of public opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just it doesn't matter what what's the truth or not i mean it's it's how how the majority is going to see this this person's um supposed behavior or actual behavior it's we, we'll never know really you know mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. unfortunate well i guess we'll see how this plays out but uh yeah so let's let's move on to our next bit of marvel news which is uh and this one was interesting so Liv tyler they confirmed this week that Liv tyler has joined the cast of captain america new world order and she's going to be reprising her role as uh betty ross from the incredible hulk movie which as you'll recall she starred uh in as the the love interest uh against then edward norton as the hulk so this is a weird one because and that was a Jennifer Connelly role, right? Jennifer Connelly was it in the Eric Bana one, right? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was it was Eric Bana and Jennifer Connelly. Then it was Ed Norton and Liv Tyler. And then once they moved into the Mark Ruffalo era with the Avengers, they decided this is our Hulk. We're we're sticking with Mark Ruffalo. They have not brought back the Betty Ross character. They've alluded to it in the the fact that they have the the Veronica armor. So Betty and Veronica, ha 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 ha. But they haven't reprised this character and they haven't recast this character. So, of course, you could bring Liv Tyler back to play this role. It's just like Jaime was talking about with, with Terrence Howard. Like, it would be like finding a character who had played somebody in a previous movie and just sort of just sort of shoehorning them in and being like, hey, Bruce, how's it going, buddy? And you're like, whoa, wait, what? Like, yeah. now, I don't think the Hulk is necessarily, and I don't think uh, there's any uh, any reason so far to believe that um, that we're going to see the Hulk in Captain America New World Order. So maybe that will be less incongruous and that, you know, won't be a big deal. But yeah, it's pretty weird. It's a pretty weird casting move. What do you, what do you guys make yeah, of this? Yeah, I mean, because like, why would they, again, if, like, like you just said, that just threw me off. Like, why wouldn't they bring, if they're going to bring her back, why wouldn't they have the Hulk in the movie? That Because then to someone who doesn't know the connection between her and the Hulk, why would she even be there? And, and uh, also in this article, didn't it say that um, your favorite new actor, um, Harrison Ford, was going to be her dad? <laughs> Yeah, so so in the Incredible Hulk movie, for those that don't remember, she plays both Edward Norton as Bruce Banner's uh, love interest, and, but she also is the daughter of Thunderbolt Ross, Thaddeus right. Ross, who is the military general who's trying to catch the Hulk and chasing him around. Of course, we had that character uh, played... Uh, by by William Hurt for a mm-hmm. long time. William Hurt unfortunately passed away, and so has been uh, Harrison Ford is stepping in to the role of Thaddeus Ross going forward. So again, making things even weirder because now she's going to be like, "I love you, Daddy." Nope, Daddy was the other guy. He died. So it's it's becoming kind of weirder and weirder that we're getting like some recasts, some precasts, some you know, it, it's it's a very kind of unusual way of of coming at this stuff. And again, I like Liv Tyler. He's a good actor, and I think she's obviously she's gorgeous. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, how they do this and try and make it a little more um, seamless, logical. I don't know. Yeah. 
And our last bit of Marvel news, Secret Invasion. They have finally given us a uh, release date, June 21st, 2023 on Disney+. Plus. We will be getting the Samuel Jackson-led series uh, that is focusing on this sort of scroll conspiracy that was hinted at in both the Captain Marvel movie and then later in uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. So, yeah, it'll be... Uh, so is this a Nick Fury pre-make sure. or what? No, this is said, I think, in the now. Um, it doesn't seem like this is a, a prequel series. Of course, I, you know... Oh, is, he, is he back after the blink or whatever it was called, the snap? Well, yes. So he's back. But if you'll recall in uh, in those two movies, so and then again in um, WandaVision, there's a bunch of different ties into this one. So... Secret Invasion is a comic book series about how the Skrulls basically started and uh, secretly disguising themselves as human beings because they can change their shape, and they started taking over key positions and replacing very All important the people, people in Starfleet, across right? Earth. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much the same thing we're talking about for the current season of Picard. And but the impact of that in the comic world was really interesting because what they maintained was that the Skrulls were not killing the people that they replace. They're capturing them and they're keeping them. And so what they were doing was basically the the idea was that secret invasion had been happening for years on Earth. So a number of heroes who we thought were themselves were actually scrolls, including ones who had died. So it was it was basically Marvel's opportunity to, to reach back into their toy box and say, well, actually it wasn't uh Mockingbird uh, who, you know, uh, we met in the Agents of Shield, uh Bob, the Bobby Morse character. It wasn't her that died in the comic books. It was the Skrull agent disguised at her that died there. And they actually had her on ice. So that way we can bring the character back and tell more stories with her. So that is kind of the interesting angle that I'm looking to on Secret Invasion is, are we going to see returns of characters that have maybe either died or are we going to see sort of some of these little twists and turns and stuff like that, that, you know, you can get into when you have, you know, basically characters who can morph into anybody. Black Widow didn't really leave the, the, the end game thing. It was actually a scrawl. And so, you know, Scarlett Johansson can come back and... Perfect example. Yeah, absolutely. Something mm. something just like that. They could be like, well, <laughs> you know, yeah, it wasn't actually this character that died. Or wasn't that character who did something? You know, it's even... It's not even deaths, too. It can be just like undoing stupid things. Like, if you have a character who does something wildly out of character, they can just be like, oh, yeah, no, the, the real person Maybe would never do that. Maybe it was a skull that was playing Kang. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but um yeah, this, so this is basically it's it's being billed as a mini series. Uh it's you know, it's it's loaded up with with talent. It's crazy like uh Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones. We've got um uh oh, what's his name from uh from uh Rogue One Ben Mendelsohn, uh who was Krennic from uh Rogue One is going to be back playing uh Talos, the scroll that he played in in um Okay. Far from home and and uh, Captain Marvel, but we have built up this sort of background storyline that Nick Fury isn't on Earth; that he's somewhere hanging out with the Skrulls. We've got this whole sort of thing from the Captain Marvel movie, but we were establishing the the Krees and the Skrulls don't like each other, and then there's the whole um, sword thing that they introduced in One Division, which is this organization that is basically about preventing attacks from outer space in the wake of what happened in New York City. So 
All that to say, the scope of this series could be really cool, and I am looking forward to this one a lot. I think this could be really cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> if they if they if they do it right, yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't mess it up. Yeah, you get the yeah. right uh, the right tone with it. Yeah, cool. I'm trying to think of how to lead into this. I'm just going to say that there's a new uh, Pixar film coming out called Elemental. I think we talked about the um, the teaser image or something before of, uh, you know, you live in a world where there's uh, there's fire people and water people. It's going to sound a lot like Avatar, but bear with me. Uh, <laughs> earth people. <laughs> and uh, I forget what the other one was. What did I miss? Uh, fire water people. Earth, fire, earth, water, air, cloud air, people. Air, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the fifth element, don't forget her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, taking the typical thing of, like, what if X had feelings, and think this one's like, what if elements had feelings, is probably the, the design's principle here, and, and Pixar's making another movie, which, you know, the the effects uh, look pretty cool from um, the, um, you know, like, graphics shading and, and style standpoint. Like, there's some really impressive stuff shown in the, in the trailers of, like, whoa, wow, like, that's actually pretty neat that they probably didn't animate that by hand they probably have had software calculate this um the concern i have about this is when i looked at the character designs and stuff i said man it feels a lot like a sequel to um oh my gosh what's the one about the emotions the, one yeah yeah oh inside I had it out. yeah yes inside out thank you which might end up um you know, hurting how, the, how people approach this. Like, it, it would be really easy to be casually flipping through a list and not realize that this is a different movie. Mm, so right. I hope I hope they didn't miss the the mark on that. Uh, but it, it does look uh, like a you know choose your choose your, your your favorite movie here. This, from what I can tell, is somebody said let's make a kids movie that is either Sidney Poitier's Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Or this is Spike Lee's um, Jungle Fever. <laughs> like choose your <laughs> choose your what? <laughs> choose your race relations metaphor for children. I think that's what's happening here. So I'm you know I'm down for the the story idea. Uh, I'm just kind of wondering like will this will this be more like Soul? Like you know people enjoyed it, but it wasn't really like a huge. Maybe hit. it's West Side Story. You know. Oh yeah, West Side Story. Yeah, there you go. Romeo and Juliet. Who knows? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Ansel and Gretel. Oh, no, that's bad, bad image. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks good. I mean, it looks, you know, I, there's, I, there are very few bad Pixar movies, but this one looks really uh, interesting as far as the visuals and stuff. Did you hear about the uh, the the short that they added to the beginning of this? I did not. They they have added uh, a short film to the beginning of of Elemental. And it is the last performance of Ed Asner as oh, wow. uh, as uh, was it Carl Carlson? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were going to include this as part of the Doug Days stuff, but while they were sort of getting ready to run that, Ed Asner passed away, and they decided they wanted to do something bigger to honor him. So they're putting this little sort of five six minute short at the beginning of this movie, and uh, it's called uh, Carl's. Date. And it's about how, uh, you know, uh, Carl goes on his first date after losing his wife. Oh, really? Wow. Ooh. And it's Ed Asner's last performance. And mm. uh, I thought that's, I'm, I think it's very sweet that they decided to make a big, bigger deal about it than just having his last performance be, uh, you know, the end of a run on, on Disney Plus, but they're actually 
they're actually going to do this as a, as a little run up to this next Pixar movie. So I thought that was really quite beautiful. And, um, you know, I mean, again, for obviously Tim, your generation, even mine, Ed Asner is a bloody icon, right? Like yeah. this is guy yeah. who was, you know, like a, one of the biggest stars on TV for 25 years. Right. Yep. Definitely. So, yeah. I just saw that, uh, I saw that you had posted this one in Jaime and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll definitely want to tag up on that because I thought that was a really, uh, really sweet little, little extra thing to uh, entice people to watch that. Uh, this one. <laughs> so Ryan Coogler, director of Black Panther and uh, uh, Wakanda Forever and of course uh, Creed and all kinds of other good movies, uh, says that he is uh, going to uh, remount, oh, sorry, he did not say. He is going to remount the X-Files. He's going to try and take a run at the X-Files. And this is according to Chris Carter, who, of course, did the uh, the original series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was talking to the CBC earlier this week, and he mentioned that uh, I spoke to Ryan Coogler, who's going to remount the X-Files with a diverse cast. He's got his work cut out for him because we covered so much territory. Interesting. I mean, you know, uh, Ryan Coogler's track record is pretty damn good. So, I mean, he, he makes quality entertainment so I, I think that's very encouraging and i think obviously the idea of doing it with more diversity and a more modern setting could be really interesting people forget i was not a huge x-files fan i watched a handful of it uh i mm-hmm. know there are people out there who are are long time lovers and watched every single bit of it i always found it a little bit b-movie like it's it's not the highest quality it's 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 sort of somewhere maybe half a notch above doctor who but it's you know like it's come on (laughs) you know like it's it's not great it's not it's you know more more of it is about like good lighting good storytelling and good dramatic tension and good performances than it is about like rubber suit monsters but when they ever got into those rubber suit monsters things and again i can't profess to have seen a ton of it did not knock my socks off my feet now, maybe I only saw a small sample size and it got better, but uh, yeah, the idea of doing this in a sort of more modern way and doing it perhaps with the uh, benefits of modern technology and, you know, uh, prosthetics and and, 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 sounds interesting. I know, Tim, you were more of an X-Files fan. Jaime, were you an X- X-Files fan? More casually. I didn't watch uh, week after week, but I'm, you know, somebody who experienced X-Files when it first came out and was at least, you know, related to the culture around it so i i know a fair amount but not enough to provide serious analysis other than like i can understand what you mean about some of it was a little bit uh b movie um and it's hard for me to figure out is that because that's where broadcast television was at in the 90s especially pre uh pre cgi effects being a cheap and easy way to do things um <laughs> i'm not sure uh, maybe it was also just sort of the the tone right because again it was Broadcast television and not. Um, well, it was filmed know, in British Columbia, which was always rainy and miserable weather, right? Like generally speaking, I mean, it, you know, it's a great place to live, but it, they never they don't have snow. They get like rain and stuff. But and but it was best. It was best when it was vague and Twilight Zone like, right? But yeah. Like like Jonathan said, when they got into into the rubber monster phase of the show, it kind of it, you kind of lost people, but. It sort of had these. It was. I don't. Do you, do you ever watch Nightcrawler, John? That oh, was the the, the, the Darren um, McGavin. Oh no, sorry. I was thinking of the. They did a, a more more recent movie with. Um, um, yes. No. I know she's the reporter. Jake 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 yeah. No. No. There was yeah. a TV show called Nightcrawler back in the in the late seventies, early eighties, I guess. Um, where he 
he would he was a reporter and somebody would report oh somebody's running around you know uh, attacking women and biting their necks and they get these two holes pierced in them or somebody's and, and he would go and investigate these things and try to write these stories but he would never actually get like face to face with the with the monster like they were all like monster stories like you know like vampires and werewolves and stuff like that ghouls of, of one type or another but he never actually you know all the signs pointed to it but they never really revealed you know they never had a guy in a suit kind of thing mm. um it was sort of like investigate he was a crime reporter and you know his editors didn't believe him but there were like the people out there who read his article believed him kind of you know his, 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 yeah it's called an article when you not an art not a, i don't mean an article what do you call it when you in newspaper guy has a has a range of stories um series column well his column his column that's what i'm looking for the word column like they would read it people believed what he was saying same thing was true with the x-files it it had a sort of like it was like the the first very first cut of alien the the movie alien you never really saw the monster never saw the guy in the rubber suit so Mm. a lot of it was sort of like a person being attacked but looking into the camera kind of thing so left a lot to your imagination and and x-files was good that way at the beginning but they also had um it had an interplay between scully and Mulder too which was it's like she didn't she was a scientist and didn't believe in it and he did right he like Mulder believed that all this stuff was real and there were, were there were extraterrestrials and there were all and she was like the skeptic right in, in reality the two actors were opposite <laughs> but david duchovny and and um Jillian Anderson, yeah, they, they, I mean, so there was the dynamic between them, the sort of, you know, J- uh, Diane and T- and um, the Ted Danson character, Sam, which is, yeah, Sam, yeah, yeah. Sam and Diane kind of thing, you know, will they, won't they, you know, whatever. And then they did a movie at the end of it. And the movie was really bad, but they had some side characters. They had these sort of conspiracy dudes, the, like this board of directors who would get together, and it was Cancer Man, which is one of the guys uh, who was like sort of because their their boss didn't believe them either, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was all that kind of dynamic. Like they never really, they never really laid it on the table, and that's when it was more successful. But you know, and it, and yeah, it had a big. I mean, it was like the the show everybody watched, and this was just just about before the time when uh, before OJ did his big run on the LA Highway. So it was before reality TV kind of took over too, right? Mm. Yeah, before the writers' strike and all that stuff, right? So yeah, those are big pinnacle uh, changes in television. But yeah, Friday night. No X Files. Watched it with the kids, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why I missed out on it because it uh, it sort of had its heyday when I was like eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and didn't really wasn't uh, yeah wasn't wasn't really around on Friday nights, which which uh, weird humble brag, but it, it it's true. I just I, I kind of missed out on it. It's back in the day before, like if you wanted to watch something, you couldn't just you know watch it on streaming. You you basically had to set your VCR to record it yeah. and. Yep. And of course, you couldn't. There was no way to go backwards and watch episodes. So if you missed the first little chunk, you're like, "Well, I'm. I guess I'm lost, and I'll just, you know, never yeah. catch up." And of course, it's a series that went on for it was like ten years or something. So long time. By the time that it was sort of wrapped up, it was like now it becomes a little daunting. Where you're like, "Damn, yeah. I, I, I kind of like to catch up, but that's a lot too." It probably went on about two seasons longer than it should have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest with you, yeah. So we were talking before the show, and it's not going to make it into the episode, but uh, somebody pointed out that we are number 93 in the category of TV and film, this show, this little show called Spotcast. So I don't know, this uh, odd statistic person uh, emailed me 
about his service, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I thought, I thought it was interesting that we're... Oh, wait, sorry, in France. So merci beaucoup, all the listeners in, in France. <laughs> this is where Jonathan and I try our, our grade school French. Yes. <laughs> allez, allez, bon. Merci. Yeah, merci beaucoup. Um, yeah, that's cool. And then the last little piece here before... I don't know if you guys saw this today, but uh, mm-hmm. it was just announced uh, that um, Scott Pilgrim, coming from the producers of the movie, Edgar Wright and, and gang, um, is doing an anime series on some new network called Net something? Netfly? Net, Net something. And I, I'll probably mispronounce it if I say it. But yeah, <laughs> starring all the, the cast from the, from the Scott, Scott Pilgrim movie. And uh, one one friend of mine commented that he hoped that some of the stories that they kind of glossed over from the original comic book series might come back in, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Ram- was it Ramona had they they skipped over some Ramona flowers things and uh, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, that maybe they'll come back in with this this re- refresh. So to everybody, like you know, it's all a uh, um, Canadian guy. Uh, what's his name that played Scott? Sarah. Yeah, Michael Sarah and um, um, yeah, all the, yeah, all the gang. It's a. I think that's. I I saw this. Uh, I I went to paste it in. You you beat me to it. I was like, wow, oh. good for you. Um, <laughs> but it's. Um, I think that's the part of it that's just like bonkers. Like this cast, like clearly bonded over this experience. They loved. Yeah. it. They really enjoyed the experience, and they've stayed. You know, in, in the story that I pasted in here from uh, Entertainment Weekly, they make a point of saying like they're talking to Edgar Wright, and he's like, "Yeah, we still have an email chain that's like 15 wow. years old, wow. and we still all email each other through that one chain and stuff." And you know, some of these have gone on to become some of the biggest stars in the world. You know, we're talking about Chris Evans, Anna Kendrick, Brie Larson, Allison Pill, Aubrey Plaza. You know. Jason Schwartzman, like it's a huge list of of stars. Yeah, Superman, Brandon Routh. Yeah, Kieran Culkin, who's like the star of Succession. Like it's it's mm-hmm. bonkers. It's bonkers how how good this cast was. Yeah, and the fact that they're not bringing back like just Michael, Sarah, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead as as Scott Pilgrim and Ramona yeah. Flowers. They're bringing back everybody, literally everybody. It's amazing that they're going to yeah. do this. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see how they decide to tell this. Is this going to be, you know, a, a, you know, stem to stern retelling? Is this going to be new adventures? But, uh, yeah, you, you definitely got my attention with this, uh, this announcement. So this, I, I'm super this psyched. tweet went out 12 hours ago mm-hmm. and it's already got 8,275 retweets. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is big news. It's got, it's got more, yeah, it's got 46,000 likes already. Is it phenomenal? It's like, it's as I'm, as I'm talking about it, that the, the retweets are going up. But it's a funny thing, you know, I, I, like you and I went and saw Scott Pilgrim yeah. the other day. I watched, I watched it last week on TV. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is an incredibly rewatchable movie. Yeah. It is at the time I remember just being blown away. I love the book. I know, you know, again, I, Cross paths with Brian a fair bit. Brian Lee O'Malley, who who uh, wrote and illustrated it, and obviously lived in Toronto for a long time. He no longer does, but um, and he's going to be involved in this production. I was a fan of the book before the thing came out. When I found out that it was coming, and I found out that Edgar Wright was doing it, I was excited. When I found mm-hmm. out that he was actually going to stay true to it and really kind of you know do that sort of weird sort of mashup of cultures as well as setting it in Toronto as well as. And I loved it from the second that I saw it. I thought it was a work of genius. I think this is one of Edgar Wright's most underrated projects. And I didn't expect it to be a gangbuster movie just because it is very, very unusual. 
but I'm really glad that it has really cemented itself as uh, as a cult classic. You know, like this is one of those movies that, yeah, I could come in from the beginning at any point and I know exactly where I am and I could watch any scene over again and the performances are great and the dialogue is crisp and it's funny and it's fun and it's it, it I I'm so excited they're dipping back into this I again it doesn't lend itself easily to a sequel but the idea of doing something like this is kind of interesting so yeah so I so I just it just to sell the point too like like I bought the DVD when it came out and then it was on that what was that other server ultra color ultra whatever oh ultraviolet I think ultraviolet and that went under so I lost my digital copy I mean it's so good that I went back to Apple and just bought another copy like on iTunes yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so even though I watched it on TV I, I I own it and can watch it anytime I want sort of thing yeah and it's it's got Toronto in it which is really kind of cool. And and it's funny because it captures a, a Toronto that is now starting to dissipate a little bit. Yeah. You know, it, the Bloor Village stuff in it, uh, you know, and sorry, I mean, we're going to digress into a Toronto talk here for a second. <laughs> but uh, the um, that time period, you know, Honest Ed's, that yeah. neighborhood, the Bloor Village, uh, it really is a moment in time, too, because that has all been demolished and is now being replaced with condos. And it's becoming kind of mm-hmm. gentrified and a little bit dull. But it really kind of captures that moment. It's the the old Sonic Boom. Remember the old Sonic Boom, that big old warehouse uh, record shop and stuff. Like it just it captures. Is it still a, there? Sonic Boom. Sonic Boom moved. It's down. Uh, it's on Spadina. Spadina? Yeah, Spadina. yeah, it's on okay. Spadina now. But it used to be up on uh, on College Street. No, it was on um, Bloor. It was just south of Bloor at Bathurst before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it's really fun to see this this. Um, this little snapshot of Toronto captured forever too, because yeah, because right. it, it really is a moment and it, and it's straight out of the book. Like they're, you know, they're at the pizza pizza across the street from honest Ed's. I sat there and eat a pizza 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 myself, you know, like it's, yep. it's such a Toronto thing. And mm-hmm. it's so fun to have Toronto be a character. Cause usually Toronto is hidden in movies or pretending and, to be Chicago or New York. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the off chance that it actually is Toronto, it's not a character. It's just a place. Yeah. This is the first movie where I feel like Toronto was a character. Yeah. Like, you know, and they're up and they go up to Casa Loma and, you know, like it just, it, it feels so really Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's our little, <laughs> it's our little love in for this. Jaime, are you a fan? I, I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this before. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did enjoy the movie. I've never uh, seen any of the other media. So it'll be interesting to watch this and, to your point, like it's like a murderer's row of people, uh, you know, what is it, 13 years later? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know how they convinced, you know, the captains, Marvel and America to show up and reprise. <laughs> hey, remember this movie you did a long time ago before you were in multi-billion dollar movies? Um, yeah. But, you know, they probably uh, were able to tell everybody, you know, remember what it was like and, and how much it was it was loved. And maybe that was something that sweetened the deal for them. Yeah. There's a video up on the uh, the link to Entertainment Weekly. There's a video on there that has the entire cast doing like a Zoom chat. And so they're all talking. It's, it, and again, it's, it's everybody. And they're all on there with Brian and with uh, with Edgar. And, and they're having a whole sort of chat. And again, they clearly like there was a lot of chemistry in this. And you can tell in the movie, like these people liked each other, that they there was a real vibe there. And I think that's one of the reasons it makes it so enjoyable. But uh, yeah, like, you know, it's it's not common. And we talked about this, I think, related to Firefly, right? Like 
sometimes casts just come together and it's just this perfect fit. And I think this is the same circumstance. But I mean, who I can, I really mean I, I should look it up. We will do it for our fact check next week. But the whoever did the casting for this, I'm sure Edgar was part of it. But I'm sure there was probably a very talented casting director as well. But like you're right, Jaime, Murderers Row. Like this was everybody before they were about to break. Like so many talented people that have gone on to huge things. It's crazy. Do you know in January? 20, our episode of January 2022, we talked about a Scott Pilgrim series in the works. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they've done, you know, some spin-off-y stuff. They did the, um, they did the video game adaptation, which you can play. That's like mm-hmm. this great 8-bit sort of Double Dragon-esque kind of beat-em-up game and stuff. Like, they, there's an enduring fandom around this. They actually just put, put out, in the last half year, they just put out some really nice action figures of Scott and Ramona. I don't think they've done anybody else but that look like the comic book versions and they look fantastic like it there's definitely an enduring love for this for this both as a book as a movie game and for these actors so yeah i think this is exciting this is really exciting cool i'm glad you're happy i am happy (laughs) all righty well we're at the main part of the show where we talk about something star trek related this week it is star trek picard Season 3, Episode 7, Dominion. Not, not mainly because of the meat. Uh, <laughs> That's a Canadian <laughs> no, the joke. Other, the other That's Dominion. a Canadian the other, joke. The other yeah. Dominion, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we'll dig in with, uh, I guess, our elevator pitches first. Mm-hmm. What do you got? My elevator pitch was a pretty succinct one. Man, sometimes the Federation just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, in this episode, like, you know, we were trying to figure out, like, what's the motivation? Why why is this sort of rogue faction of changelings so hellbent on messing with with the Federation on this scale, messing with Starfleet on this scale? And yeah. why are they trying to sort of get to it? Here, we finally get the whole data download from Vatic, who says, you know, hey, here's my deal. You know, during the Dominion War, they captured a bunch of us and they held us in our test tubes and they tortured the holy crap out of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, man, like, I get there's a Section 31. I get that there's, you know, of course, you know, you're naive if you think your government isn't doing awful things that they aren't telling you about. But, you know, I don't think it goes as far as making them empathetic villains, but I kind of get their point. Yeah, well, but but then again, it's also that that second contact thing that we talked about, you know, in, in when we talked about lower decks, where you know the Federation goes off, does this thing, you know, gives gives the whoever you know, a solution, and then leaves, right? And in this case, Picard and and you know, um, I guess it was Voyager at the time. Was it Voyager that was? Oh, Deep Space Nine, Deep right? Deep Space Nine, yeah. Yeah, they they you know they have this big war with them. They come to a resolution. They solve it by by creating this virus that, you know, is going to infect them, but gives them a cure. Well, but, not really. Not well, really. No, I mean, yeah, they say they, as far as Picard knows, we gave him a cure because he didn't bother to check and follow up to make sure that the, the FedEx didn't get lost on the way there, you know, kind of thing. Or get circumvented, as, as she sort of says in, in the story here, right? So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's just, it's, again, it's that same sort of like, you know, well, we, 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 like it, like typical government kind of answer. We 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 gave you the funding. Why did you you know waste it on toilets instead of fresh water? You know, like yeah, you know. Anyway, another Canadian joke. <laughs> what was your pitch, Jaime? 
I went with the the crews having trouble with their backed up data. Meanwhile, Hunkadik's <laughs> boss is a handful. <laughs> backed up data. I told you last week when you restore stuff, doesn't always come back, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that's the the epitome of corrupt data. They had a merge conflict, right, Jaime? And they chose the wrong branch <laughs> or the wrong commit. That's an more than just code joke. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a pitch for this one. Just like, yeah, again, second contact. I'll just say, cool. So my so if we talk about our pew pews, because my pew pew, my favorite pew pew in this show. I mean, like, yeah, there was lots of really cool gunplay and stuff like that. But the pew pew for me was seven versus Tuvok. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. good, good, mm-hmm. good call. The very first, the very first conversation because it starts with Tim Russ playing reprising. Tuvok and and uh, Seven and the gang and the Titan are hiding. You know they're hiding in in in, in a pile of garbage, which, which they stole from Star Trek, Star Wars. I mean, I just got to say, you know, but um, they're hanging out in, in this this uh, graveyard for ships, and, and they're having these secret conversations. And and Seven's talking to Tuvok, and she's as she's talking to him, she's testing him too, right? And they're scanning his voice to see whether it's legit or not, and. I think they at one point they notices a blip, and then she catches him um, in a couple of falsehoods around her relationship with Tuvok, right? Mm-hmm. Which is which is weird because when did they ever cross paths? Oh no, I guess they were on the same ship, right? Yeah, they're on the same ship. Yeah, yeah. Vo- they were on Voy. And then, of course, you know, for me, the Easter egg was the the Voyager theme started playing at one point in that conversation. Hmm. Yeah, I. I, I jokingly had in my head to, uh, and he's not Tuvok. He's who are you, Vok? Uh, <laughs> The or, or Tvix, what was that other character called? Yeah, Tvix, Tvix, yeah, Tvix, yeah, yeah. Um, that would have been that would have been funny if they if they tried to pass off Tvix as as <laughs> <laughs> what? This is what I look like. What are you doing? <laughs> this is what's in the record. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it's good though because we did get a little bit of important data download in there, which is that they're not necessarily killing the people they replace. That's kind of why they had somebody as important as Tuvok in this scene. And it got fun to see Tim oh, Russ again. But yeah. I think the whole point was it's supposed to be them reaching out to tr- to try and get connected to any of the people they think can help them. But then also getting the data back that, you know, you you must have gotten some information from Tuvok, which means he's alive. And so we know that, they're, that we're not necessarily killing every single person that they take control of, which is good because we were also... Uh, potentially facing that, like, you know, are they killing off all these, like, potentially famous characters, especially because they keep mentioning... these spin-off properties, you mean? Yeah. Well, they keep mentioning Janeway, which is a little, you know, like, you kind of wonder if we're going to see her. It seems like this is meant to be not not just Picard, the final hurrah. Well, we know where Janeway is. She's she's chasing her prodigy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's good that um, we're, we knew this was going to be a TNG reunion sort of farewell, last farewell for the crew kind of deal. We, we mm-hmm. That's what we kind of got as the bargain for this series. But it's kind of turned into an all of, all of previous Trek iterations kind of one, because we have gotten a little bit of connection to DS9. We certainly have got more than our share of Voyager in here. And, you know, yeah, like, I'd be surprised at this point with three episodes to go if we don't see Janeway at some point. Or or Reg Barkley. Can you can get a dream? <laughs> You're holding on to that really hard. I mean, maybe, really... maybe he's the big bad. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's um, the one with a revenge, revenge claim, right? That's that's true. It's true. He could be the one who's uh, out for blood. But uh, yeah, for my um, 
for my PvP, I had the the trap scene. I thought that was really well done, where they they sort of lure the mm, the changelings right. on board, and then they start trapping them. Uh, and then, of course, it starts to come apart when when uh, lore sort of takes over and starts messing things up. But uh, I, I did like the sort of the sequence of of them sort of trying to trying to catch them all, and you know, it, it just reminded me of old time Trek, right? Like that's a very mm-hmm. Trek yeah. thing. Like you know, oh, bring them in here and then catch them between two force fields, but the force fields are starting to fade. Like it was just it just felt like a real yeah warm and comfy feeling. Yeah, it's a trash compactor scene too, though. Yeah, yeah. Jaime, did you have uh, anything different for your pew pew pew? No, my pew 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 was the the gun battle on the Titan, and my my Easter mm. egg was like, you know, Tuvok kind of, you know, and how this yeah. is increasingly, um, you know, with the the TNG characters, which we expected, uh, the Voyager characters, DS9 characters, it's sort of a, a a multi backdoor pilots kind of thing where they could go in a lot of different directions, and I I think people are, are pretty jazzed for it, just given the reception to season three of Star Trek Picard. The other thing I had for my uh, Easter eggs was the Tuvok, obviously, is, a, is a, an easy one. But the, yeah, they do make reference to the fact that, uh, you know, they've danced around Odo a few different times in this series and, and just, you know, touching back on what a great character he was. Odo, of course, steals the cure and brings it back to the Great Link to save his people. Uh, they, that they that was actually a story in, in the show, right? Like It was, was it? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they 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 dance around it. They never actually say specifically Odo, but they say one of us, you know, had to go steal the cure. And again, it's basically it's Vadik uh, bringing that back to Picard, saying you only think that you gave us the cure. You didn't give us the cure. We stole the cure. And it was really because Odo had, you know, they wanted mm-hmm. to save his people. Um, so yeah, it's funny because they. I think this is maybe the third time that they've referenced Odo without saying the word Odo, uh, which is kind of a shame because I, I you know, it, you know. That was an indelible character. And Barcelona's character was such an icon. Of course, he's passed on, so he couldn't come back to reprise his role or anything. But uh, but it's nice that he's getting so many little little love pieces in here, little little ties in. Again, it's funny because we talked about it, um, you know, as a TNG love in. But uh, you know, you really kind of need all three of those series, not as much the original series. Uh, or the original animated series or anything like that, but you really kind of need all three of of TNG and Voyager and and DS9 mm-hmm. to really get every bit of like every layer of what they're doing here. Yeah, and and Odo was he was originally like an orphan, right? He didn't know about the Great Link initially, right? No, he did. He thought he was sort of a one-ox. They just found him floating in space, right? And yeah, then, yeah. And then he he thought he was mimicking the look of his uh his the scientist that was working with him but it turned out that he was actually just looking like his people although i thought that was a bit of a cop out but um <laughs> yeah but yeah it's um I, I just i would like at some point in the next 3 episodes for somebody to use the word odo just cuz i think he deserves it right right yeah true my big question was so one of the things they sort of slipped into this episode, which was otherwise, you know, it moved pretty fast and a lot going on. There's the whole, you know, data lore thing. There's the, the invasion of the ship thing. There's the whole conspiracy thing. They slip in the whole, you know, uh, Jack and Picard don't necessarily have aromatic syndrome, which we mm-hmm. is something we've known about since the TNG days that Picard had this uh, thing that was going to potentially be fatal and that. You know, a couple episodes they established uh, a couple episodes ago that Jack also has it, and that that's how they sort of explain away that he's having these sort of visions and, and episodes and stuff like that. Right. And then Vatic in this episode basically says, like, no, you don't. 
And so it begs back the question, like, she seems to know a lot about Jack that has something to do with more than just we need your DNA so that we can, you know, reanimate this Picard corpse and, and make it do our bidding. So the question is, what's Jack? What is Jack? Is Jack a changeling? Is Jack a hybrid? You know, did, did, did Crusher sleep with a changeling instead of Picard? I was going to say, but wouldn't Crusher kind of remember Jack coming was, into this Was world? the changeling in the form of a, a, a condom with a hole in it during their, sure their <laughs> night of love? Like, what? I, I just, that, that's the part I'm a little confused about. How, if he is their child. You know, I bet you it was the midichlorians. The midichlorians again, I'm telling you. <laughs> Darth Plagueis the Wise needs to get up out of people's business. This is clearly a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know. Do you guys have any theories? Do you have any thoughts on, like, you know, he keeps having these weird visions with, like, the red stuff creeping up the walls. And, of course, he, now he can read minds in this episode. He's he's reading Sydney's mind. And, and it, manipulating her and telling her what to do, right? Yeah, but yeah he basically takes control like of her master, at one point. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hmm. I'm really lost. On, and that was my big question as well. What is Jack Crusher? Because you know, before they mentioned the aromatic syndrome stuff, uh, I was going down the path of like, maybe he is, you know, changeling enabled in some way as like a hybrid or pure changeling. Um, and it sort of went in a different direction where they said, oh, uh, turns out maybe you got like an alien baby inside of you, <laughs> Picard. Yeah. You know, that's actually what's been throwing off the scans. Uh, I don't know mm. where it's going to go. It's like... You know, one last uh, middle finger from Q. <laughs> I was like, oh, they left a baby behind, you know? Like, who knows? It could go in a million different directions with that. Yeah. Some good quotes this week. Uh, I like the one from uh, Alondra when she they first turned the data lore uh, uh, body on. And she says, so has lore always been this arch? Yeah, uh, I thought that was a great, like, uh, very uh, young person thing to say about this, like, kind arch of arch villainy, yeah. arch villainy kind of mwahaha character that they created in lore. Um, I thought it was funny too because Jordy uses the line. He says, "You know, why?" They say, "Why is he doing this?" And he says, "Chaos. He loves chaos," which is funny because then they counter that later on with with lore saying. Uh, survival, like it's I, I want to I want to survive. It's not about chaos, which is I. I, I never really got the impression for him it was about survival. I think chaos, I think Jordy's reading is probably fairer. Um, so, you know, maybe that's just Laura's trying to justify it or trying to justify that character's behavior. But yeah, chaos, I thought it was a great way to describe what Laura brings to the to the mix. Um, and then Vadic had some killer lines in this one. And again, like an amazing performance uh, once again. But uh, how remarkable is it that an enlightened species can ignore each other's pain? That was a great one. Uh, the Federation took my family. Now I will take yours. Also pretty dark. This was my alt. This is my winner for this episode. What defense is formidable against the formless? I thought that was uh, whoever wrote that. Bravo. That's poetry. That's that's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I got uh, I got lazy and decided I didn't want to um, write down all of Lore's spicy and convoluted quotes. But he's got some, oh, yeah. some great zingers uh, talking about like you you got to go more arch to deal with the the hubris that's in front of you when you deal with the TNG crew. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. There's a, there was a few really good ones. I mean, it's funny cause you know, obviously we love Brent Spiner playing data, you know, iconic performance, all timer, but it's been a long time since we've seen him play lore. Like lore got boxed up, but season five, six, I think it was beginning of season yeah. six yeah. of TNG. 
So we're talking like 92, maybe 93 was the last time we saw him play this character. It's a long time. Yeah. And it's fun. He's, he's fun in that character role. Like he's, he's good at it. Yeah, and it's interesting how he, his face changes, and you can tell that he's Lord, too, which is really a really interesting portrayal. Oh, he's just got that great smirk, that sort of sneering smirk. Well, cause, again, cause Data good. doesn't smile like that, yeah. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, fun. fun. Well, even when he's the human, uh, his the older brother, or whatever his name is, um, what's the name we, we mentioned last week? The, the, oh, the Alden? He, Alden, yeah. He, he kind of has a... He kind of does that sort of smirk too when he's talking. It's sort of very sarcastic looking face too, right? But, but yeah, no, it's definitely different when he, when he's lower. Maybe it's the way they light his face too that might be different too. Yeah, yeah, it's good, good show. Yep. Doesn't uh, it's funny because this is like a, a very much a data download episode. Pardon the pun. Uh, yeah. Where yeah. you know we kind of catch up on you know motivations and and you know all that kind of stuff. But you know the whole thing happens. It's a little bodily, right? Like, it's really just, it's basically inside the ship. They don't go anywhere. They stay in the same place. They're at the same place at the beginning of the episode and the end of the episode. Um, so it, on one hand, it feels like a lot happened. On the other hand, it just was all really, it was just about a data dump for you. Well, it ends, it ends though, with the, with the change that's taking over the ship, right? Yes, yes. You know? I suppose that's the, that's the big uh, dun dun And the dun. old trope of you don't disrupt your stars. You know, I, you know, I can never understand. Like, it's kind of like I was, I was watching a movie the other day where where somebody explained the reasons why they're doing something, like the the enemy, the bad guy, mm. and and the person says, "Why are you telling me this?" He goes, and he says, it, "It's it's basically part of the part of the storytelling." I have to I have to say this, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, but it's kind of like, um, you know, like when they walk onto the bridge and and the guy's holding the phaser against Seven's head, and they they walk slowly on the bridge, and everybody, you know, kind of has got a somebody's got a phaser pointing at them but they don't kill anybody right because yeah. you know they need them for next week right yep for the turnaround yep. we'll just put them in the pit with the sharks we'll but just close the doors like it's Austin fine power's son like a or yeah. a, a, a seth green yeah seth green's role just kill him i've got a gun in my room i'll bring it you know <laughs> we'll do it together it'll be a family bonding thing <laughs> yeah exactly yep. yep there we go right should we move on to the mandalorian hell yeah so yeah, we didn't talk about this last last time, but uh, like this guy's like he reminds me of um, Pizza the ja- the Chia the Pet. <laughs> pizza the Hut mixed with. Do you remember Fraggle Rock, Tim? You must be old enough to yeah, remember Fraggle yeah, Rock. Yes, yes. The trash pile. The trash pile. <laughs> trash pile. Oh yeah, or he looks like a Chia Pet. I'm, I don't can't take him seriously. He's like he's he's like organically green or something right the the part that i can't take is that everybody takes the time in this series to continually call him pirate king gory shard like who does the full that title yeah, the yeah full title. like you know mm-hmm. gotta give him his dues he is the pirate king like they couldn't just call him like the king or shard or gorian like no yeah. at least eight or ten times in this episode they say the full phrase pirate king gorian shard and they've done that this whole season and it is just a tub of cheese it is so cheesy yeah nobody yeah. talks like that <laughs> yeah as they're, as they're running around like trying to save their lives and they managed to get the whole title in there exactly yeah yeah, uh, yeah. that guy the chia pet guy that's what you should call him right <laughs> i mean what did you have for your pitch i was in a cheeky mood in this one i guess because i wrote down here uh pirates take over the local sabaros so the mando <laughs> cops get called in to help <laughs> so I was I was in a mood apparently. Yeah, not saying oh, it's great. I, yeah. Not saying it stuck the landing, but it, it tried. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I feel you. I <laughs> I just went with blah 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 pirate king blah 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 the way. Who cares? Zeb is back. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say too. Like like my Easter egg was the purple guy talking to Papa San because I couldn't remember the purple guy's name. Right? Yeah, Zeb. Zeb. Yeah, and of course. Yeah. Papasan is actually Captain Carson Dave Teva, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah, that's that's really all like I mean, it was the sure, it blew up good, but really that's all like all I kept thinking about the whole episode was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, we finally got Zeb in live action. That's yeah, all exactly. that mattered to me. I as you guys know, I am a uh diehard rebels head. I it's my favorite of the animated properties. It's my mm. one of my favorite Star Wars things ever. And uh Zeb is one of my favorite characters. So at, he leaned over when, uh, when, um, what was it, uh, Carson, Tevin, Paul, yeah, Paul, Paul Sun Hung Leung Lee, uh, sidles up to the bar, uh, sidles up to the bar, and he, if you look in that scene, there's a whole bunch of other cameos too. There's also, mm-hmm. uh, you can see, um, Dave Filoni's in the bar. You can see there's like, oh, yeah. uh, some of the other creators are, are like, they, that's how they've been basically slipping people in as, as these pilots uh. and stuff. So there's other people in the bar and you're sort of looking around and then you see this Lasat come over this, this alien come over and sort of lean over. And my first thought was like, okay, we know from rebels that there aren't a lot of Lasats, let alone Lasats who leave their planet. Mm-hmm. So my first thought was like, well, is it Zeb or is it supposed to just be a Lasat? And of course, in this era, we don't really know because we last saw the Lasats uh, in, in rebels. And even in that point, Zeb is is theoretically going back to his home planet with uh, oh god, what was the other character's name? The guy who defected, um, who, who may may or no, may or may not be they may or may not be in love. There's kind of an allusion to the fact that they are kind of in love with one another. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but they. Yeah, we didn't really know what was going on. So, I, yeah, I was excited when I saw it. I was like, oh, my God, that's a Lasat. That's amazing. And it looked great. Like, it, it, was yeah. not, it was not a crap effect. Like, it's always the worry when they take a cartoon character and they bring it to, into the live action. Obviously, you know, this is a cartoon also. But at the same time, it looked great. And I was like, oh, my God, is that Zeb? Oh, my God, is that Totally Zeb? recognizable. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I looked at it and I was like, and then I heard the voice and I'm like, it sounds like Zeb. Sounds like um, is it yep. Steve, Steve Blum, I think, is the actor who plays uh, Zeb. And I looked and I looked and, and of course, once once the episode was over, I scanned the credits and sure enough, it was. It was the same voice actor and that was listed as Zeb. So, yeah, that's, again, most exciting thing that's happened this entire season for me yeah. is, yeah. you know, they really do seem like they're getting the band back together for from Rebels between Mandalorian and potentially the Ahsoka series. We know we're going to get Sabine Wren. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, we have high hopes that we're going to kind of get most of that in, in live action. And I can't tell you how excited I am about that. And again, you, there's a reason why I'm not talking about how great Gorian Shard was and the plat plan to attack Navarro and the Mandalorians coming to the rescue and all that other stuff this is fine. This is fine. But the, the development, the, this was the first episode where I felt like we we're moving things forward and yeah. I was excited by that. I mean, the, the pew pew was really good. I mean, the, the battle on the planet was all was kind of interesting, and um, you know, we were also talking about you know, the money to get sunk into the special effects. Even the the shots of of um, Navarro, like just just as they as their as the ship was flying over and bombing carpet bombing the citizens, right? That scene alone was you know an expensive scene, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just a matte painting, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Cool. Good. That was a good episode. I mean, you know, typical box. And it's, it's funny that, you know, what is it, like 15 Mandalorians could take on an entire battalion that, that of pirates, I guess. I don't know how many pirates they brought, but you know, and they're all, the pirates are all hammered, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that probably mm-hmm. helped. Probably yeah. helped. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a like a special forces crew going in, right? This is like uh, yeah. America has Delta Force and the Navy SEALs. I don't know what other countries have, but like imagine them against, as you mentioned, you know, uh, drunken pirates who are kind of just along for the ride and not necessarily well trained. And uh, as we saw with the uh, the snub fighters, not necessarily uh, very uh, disciplined either, right? Like they're yeah. they. We're told, hey, come back and protect the ship. It's like, no, 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 we've, we we got beef with Mando, so let's take him out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, me, not exactly my... the best strategy there. <laughs> not, not, not the best strategy they've ever brought. <laughs> right, right. They, they fell apart exactly as the Mandalorians wanted them to fall apart, right? Split, uh, divide, and conquer them. Yeah. My quote, yeah. and I didn't write the exact quote, it was more the, the feeling I got from uh, Paz Vizla, where he... Um, you know, he's the next person to talk at the, like, Council of Elders, I guess. You know, when everybody's got the, the talking hammer. The, the stand-up, you the mean, The talking right? hammer, yeah. Yeah, the stand-up. Yeah. And he does a, uh, you know, if you've seen any Simon Cowell from, like, um, American Idol or America's Got Talent, it's kind of a thing he does fairly recently, which is to say, I didn't love, I didn't like that act. And then people start booing. He's like, I loved it. And we had yeah. that sort of moment here where it's like, I yeah. suffered and our people died for this foundling, so why do we do this again? And you're like, oh man, look, this dude's causing beef. And he says, because we're Mandalorians, and that's what we do. I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> this kind of took a left turn I didn't expect here, but all right, this this is good. This is positive, right? So yeah, uh, that was my that was my uh, you know, sort of meta quote about him. Yeah. Yeah, there was okay. some good stuff in here that I, I, I laughed. I'm sure you both got it as well. But the the very beginning of the episode when Gorian Shard sh- shows up and says to, you know, Grief Karga, you know, oh, and you gunned down my troop, you know, my troops and it was, you know, brutal fashion. You murdered them in cold blood. And he says, he shot first. I was like, yep, that, that's, yep, he shot first. That's, that's, uh, it's nice to have Dave Filoni in on the joke that, uh, mm. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, Filoni and Favreau were in on the joke. He shot first, yep. Right, right. Um, and then, you know, there's the, the the other part we haven't really talked about in this is the whole Moff Gideon, you know, we, yeah. we, we talked about it a few weeks ago. There was this sort of dropped line in the episode focusing on Dr. Pershing about, well, I hear that Moff Gideon escaped. And then in here in this episode, we get the whole uh, the whole truth of it. So Tiva says, I'm hearing Moff Gideon never made it to trial. And of course, it comes back around at the end of the episode and we see the discovery of the shuttle and that Moff Gideon has in fact escaped, which makes sense because then you factor in, okay, so somebody bombed Bo-Katan's base. That could be Moff Gideon. Is, you know, is Gideon working for Thrawn? That's a different, you know, matter. But, you know, it, again, it's, this felt like we were moving things forward. It, it feels like the last few episodes have kind of been slow paced, all things being equal, especially for an eight episode season for the first like half of the season was a little slow, a little slow. So yeah, that was kind of good. Um, and then t- that Tiva's line when when he goes in and he sees uh, he sees Tim Meadows playing the uh, the bureaucrat on Coruscant and he says there's something dangerous going on here uh, going on out there all these events it's not a coincidence and by the time it comes by the time it becomes big enough for you to act it'll be too late which again is great foreshadowing so what did you make of the interaction between the armorer 
and Bo-Katan at the end of the episode. Yeah, the where helmet she tells, thing that was Tells weird. her to take her helmet off. Yeah, because she then, looks at her and goes, what now? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. basically says, do you respect me? And Are she we says, all yes. taking our helmets off now? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, and so she comes out without her helmet on, and, and people are, are immediately like, how come she gets to take her helmet off? And she says, well, she walks between worlds, and therefore she's allowed to do this. It's kind of a strange, uh, you know, convenient way to sort of do this. Does the Does the armor have sort of supreme authority is she their you know spiritual leader so she can change the rules of the cult is that is that the deal i guess yeah that's what i was thinking i was thinking mm-hmm. like when's the armor going to take her helmet off and you know well i mean it, again emily swallows the actress who plays the armor is uh, a, a very striking beautiful woman um mm-hmm. it seems uh, like you'd hope at some point that they would let them do that and not to mention the fact that we have a whole series based around pedro pascal who we've seen for a grand total of what do you guys think like Half an hour, maybe 40 minutes over three seasons, we've seen his face. Yeah, it was interesting, too. I was, I was reading somewhere that, that um, there was a stand-in as well. So I was kind of thinking, oh, like, you know, yeah. as there, as, you know, because sometimes, you know, some of the times when, when um, Bo-Katan was talking and just the way her body movement, got to be Katie Sackhoff in there, but because, you know, just the kind of way she she moved her shoulders, as she said what she was going to say. But then again, like, how do we know that these aren't, all just you know stand-ins right yeah well and we and we do know that to a certain extent that's kind of been a running gag that uh mm-hmm. pedro pascal doesn't put the armor on for every single episode they do have like a stunt performer in the uniform and they also have like just a, a walking around person too but yeah i mean I, I wonder how much of this he actually did on scene versus how much of it he did just in a voice studio doing yeah doing yeah. the voices and stuff but uh you know, if you're going to cast cast somebody like him, you, you know, maybe let, let's see him from time to time. He's a quite good looking man and also quote, quite good performer. I think that's that ultimately is the reason why she was taking her took her helmet off. Right. Was, mm-hmm. was for the fan service. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, like that's a beautiful woman, too. It's nice to see her. And hopefully, I mean, her wig is kind of hilarious this season. But, um, you know, it's nice to see her. And, and you know, I hope hopefully we will we'll sort of see that. And interesting that the whole sort of idea now is is basically the armor is is telling her, like, go collect our people and let's get this going. We wondered why she didn't really have a reaction last week to the whole Mythosaur reveal from from Bo-Katan. It turns turns out she was kind of just sort of stewing on it and waiting for the right moment to sort of say, okay, here's what I'm thinking. And so now it sounds like what their intention is, is to go reunite the rest of the Mandalorian. So the, the characters we met uh, previously, like uh, Koska Reeves and Axe Wolves and, and the ones that were with Bo-Katan the first time, and sort of bring the whole band back together and then maybe go back to Mandalore and see if they can find a Mythosaur? Yeah, that, that did come up this time to the Mythosaur, right? At, at some point in the in the future of this series, probably not for a couple of seasons at least, there's going to be like a mythosaur riding Bo-Katan riding a mythosaur or Dinjarin or the armor or, or Grogu or something is going to be riding a mythosaur into battle against the forces of, of, you know, Thrawn or Gideon or all of the above or something like this. This is all eventually going to happen, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, Personally, I, I'm I'm hoping for Grogu. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I likened the armorer's take on this. So if we assume she's their spiritual leader in some sort of way, it, it, the very least she's got that special place as the the person who knows how to run the forge and everything, right? Um, it, it, making it akin to some 
as of now, real world stuff that is happening uh, for uh, for Catholics. The the Pope has said that you know he might change. Uh, I think it's like a thousand years long um, policy. Like maybe priests will be allowed to marry, which is a big mm-hmm. change, kind of akin to wait a minute, you you can take your helmet off. It's like well, <laughs> under these circumstances for this for this person, right and the the armorer didn't take her own helmet off, right? She didn't yeah, include exactly. herself in this, so she clearly believes there's something special related to seeing uh, a Bo-Katan, seeing the mythosaur, and you know maybe it'll sort of pass a bit as well for the other Mandalorians. We're like, well, she did get you know cleansed in the waters on Mandalore, and she did follow our ways uh, at least you know for a while. But she wasn't she... supposed to take her helmet off until you know, yeah, and and she didn't have to. Follow that stuff. She kind of, you know, went, went into uh, went into somebody else's uh, church or synagogue or mosque and like sort of jazzed hands along. This like everybody else knew what to do and she didn't know, right? So I wonder if there's sort of that aspect to it as well. It's like it's easier, it's easier to sell because this person has been uh, living our ways when they really were not required to in any um, any sort of way. Well, this has given me optimism for the last three episodes that maybe we're we're going to pick up the pace and and see a little more. It was also this was a slightly longer episode. We we've been getting ones that were you know tight little thirty one thirty two minute episodes. This one was up up above forty minutes. So uh, again, you, if you're gonna if you're gonna go small on the early ones, that hopefully means you're gonna go bigger on the on later ones. So hopefully we'll get a little bit more and a little bit more action, a little bit more ex- sort of development as uh, as we get into the home stretch here. Mm-hmm. Cool. So on to the home stretch. Yeah, the finale, <laughs> two part finale of the Bad Batch. Star Wars the Bad Batch, season two, episode fifteen and sixteen, the summit, and then followed by Plan Ninety-Nine. Mm-hmm. All at once. Well, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and read my elevator pitch. Okay. <laughs> which will make yeah. me sound oh. like a bit of a dick. But yeah. here we are. I told you so, I told you so, I told you <laughs> I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Also, RIP to someone from the batch. But right. yeah, I, I think I did call this last week. Mm. That, uh, yeah, I, I said that the best way to continue this story and to make it uh, logical would be to have them lose Omega and have to go rescue her the next season. And that's yeah. exactly what they did. Yeah. I mean, you got a pitch? It was simply the heist, because that was sort of what they were doing right it was a it was a heist movie uh essentially yeah, yeah. and then they ran into the um Saul Guerrero again in this one right he was my my easter egg hunt that uh right you know he's uh, certainly been around quite a bit um but he he pops in from time to time to essentially have a completely different viewpoint on what everybody else is looking to do at the time right we saw his like uh insistence Lately, he's a pretty uh, he's a pretty particular kind of rebel or terrorist, right? That he he's like he's okay with with uh, getting his own nose bloodied as long as he can bloody the other side. Whereas some of the other folks that he's dealt with are like, no, that's not going to help long term. You, you you can pew 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 and blow up these guys here, but they're just going to get filled with you know uh, re- restocked with new people. Like you, you haven't actually solved the problem. We have a better longer term solution and he's he's not having any of that he'll he'll take his short term wins where he can get them yeah he really is the poop in the punch bowl and in some of these ways right like he 
you know, he basically says like, no, I'm going to do this thing. You guys can't stop me. And then when it goes sideways, not only does he not complete his mission, but he completely screws things up. And, uh, you know, by, you know, any way you look at it, he causes the death of one of the Bad Batch, right? Like they're, they end up blowing the base. It ends up screwing things up. It ends up stranding them there, at which point they get attacked, at which point, you know, tech dies. And but he's not really a rebel. Though. I mean, like if you look at him in Rogue One, he's uh, you know the he's more of a piratey kind of guy, right? Well, he he's definitely fighting for his. He's, he's fighting against the Empire. So by that proxy or by that cause, he is he is a rebel. But he's you know he is very much more like a, a guerrilla fighter, right? Like he's he's just much more focused on hurting the Empire than than fixing things. Like his is more about creating chaos, destroying things. I mean, they even say that in this episode. They're like, he's like, I'm going to take out the command center and kill these people. And they're like, what good is that going to do? They'll just fill all their spots within the the next week. You're not really doing anything. Whereas what we're trying to do could have long-term effects. And he's like, he can't see that, right? He's just focused on like, no, I want them to hurt. I want them to feel it. And and you see that through his whole arc through, you know, Clone Wars and all the way through all the series that he's, he's a much more passionate person. He's very, very scarred by losing his sister and he just wants them to hurt as much as he hurts and that's the bottom line on all of his stuff is is how bad can i hurt them how quickly can i hurt them right right um i had a couple good easter eggs so the the one was uh the part where the the marauder and the bad batch are uh or clone force 99 are, are approaching the planet and they have to transmit the clearance codes and then they can get get down to uh to tarkin's world um, I definitely felt like that was very much meant to echo the scene where they're the Han Solo and the, the, the Tidarium shuttle are, are trying to approach Endor, or the moon of Endor. Even the sound effects were the same. Some of the dialogue felt very similar. I was like, that's, that's, that's some pretty good, like echoing, you know, it felt, felt very deliberate. Uh, and then the other one was, uh, you know, at the meeting where they have Tarkin and these other sort of major players in the thing, they, they start talking about Commander Krennic is there and, uh, he, you know, give us an update on Project Stardust, which is, of course, the Death Star, right? So that was kind of a cool, uh, another sort of tie into the, the Rogue One, um, A New Hope kind of, you know, bringing it all together. I, I almost... Yeah, I was going to say also the, the echoing for me was the whole sister connection, which we can talk about in a few minutes anyway. Yeah, for sure. I did um, I did find myself thinking about the envy that I have for someone who exists, I'm going to say, maybe a decade from now, not not too far into the future, but somebody who could come into Star Wars with everything at their feet, all these television series, all the cartoon series, the original movies. And really see all of the ways that they've bound them all together and sort of all these little connections and stuff like that. For us, they're like, oh, I remember that. I remember that. And that's, of course, they're giving you member berries, right? They're they're just like giving you these little things that you remember. But to have somebody come at it and be like, oh, this is how it all pieces together. Of course, that person knows that person. Of course, that person should be there at that point. Like they really are trying to sort of just bridge all these gaps that have existed for so long. And they're trying to sort of like Dave Filoni seems like his personal mission to rehabilitate the first the prequels trilogy and now the sequel trilogy. So it's it's interesting. It's interesting how this is all coming together. 
I mean, but it's, I mean, Asimov did that too, like in, in his writing, like he started in the fifties and with the foundation series and then he, they started developing the robot books and then, and he went back and did the prequel, right? The, like the, he did a prequel to the foundation. I think it literally was called that. Um, and then, um, at the end of it, the end of the whole robot story ties the robots and the foundation together. Right. So he did that over like 10 novels. So. Same sort of idea. You can, like, you know, you can approach it now. You can start go reading Asimov, and even though they're all, like, it's funny because, like, the Foundation is written like a very much like a 50s pulp fiction kind of story, pulp science fiction, you know, like, in the same way that New Hope is very much a 1970s movie, you know? As opposed to, like, you know, that's why George Lucas kept wanting to go back and mess with it to, to make it look update all the, the special effects and stuff. But, you know, like like you say, like now that, you know, 10 years from now, you can look back at this whole arc and see the connections, right? Yeah. In the same for sense. Sure. For sure. So let's get into it in our in our questions here. The, the first one is, is Tech really dead? And, and couldn't they, he, 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 clone him? Um, that, I guess, you know, I think he's dead. I think he's dead, dead. Do you guys have a sense of whether he's... For really dead? I mean, anytime they kill a character off screen, you're a little dubious, right? Yeah, but they all they said mm. all they could find was his glasses, right? Yeah, but that's Hemlock, right? Hemlock's trying to get inside Hunter's head at that point. Like, right, yeah. if they had him and they were like, you know, doing research on him or if they had him and they had him as a prisoner or whatever, like they'd never... He did fall quite a ways, though. He did fall quite a ways. That's true. I mean, but... he, and he lost his gun that had the little, the harpoony thing. It's yes. funny, like, it's funny that the one, the one scene where he jumps over to the, you know, across the chasm, he gets to the other side, he jumps over and grabs with his hands, and, the, and when he jumps back, he uses the, the tether thing. Mm. So why wouldn't he use the tether thing the first time? Yeah. Speed, I guess. Uh, Jaime, yes, dead? I, you know, that's a good question because, you know, uh, even Darth Maul came back, right? And we, well, yeah, then he was chopped in half, right? Yeah. So it's like, well, you know, possible. And um, it, uh, it might be interesting to tie it to my quote because I wrote down, uh, this was the, the interaction between Fee and Tech, where she says, hey, so you were just going to leave without saying anything? And Tech says, that is correct. And then there's these <laughs> awkward beats. <laughs> Did you require a briefing? It's just like, <laughs> yeah. wow, you know. Get and, a clue, dude. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and so it does make me wonder if he is actually gone and that, you know, ends up being a, a semi-unresolved thing that they can explore with the right? Of like, mm. oh, like, you know, at least I got a chance to, to say something with him and say goodbye. Because otherwise, this dude would have just been gone and then he would have told me he's dead, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. It, it These... These episodes. Yeah, why would they go through the process of saying that part, right? You know, other than to maybe humanize the character, the the fee character, right? Well, why would I, they? Why would they make that a story point? Yeah, I, th- I think the whole point is that there's there's supposed to be, you know, like they they do that is so often in in Hollywood script writing. Like, unfortunately, it is that foreshadowing thing. Sometimes done well, sometimes in this case, perhaps not quite as well done. I I have a theory and and maybe let's let's get into the sisters stuff before I sort of drop that one out there but so you know yes there's the fee sort of not sure what's happening with that one then later in the episode right at the end there's this reveal that um the Emery Car- Emery Carr character so the 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 scientist who we've seen in multiple episodes as the sort of assistant to Dr. Hemlock uh turns out 
at the end of the episode, she basically says to Omega, don't you recognize me? I'm your sister. And so there's that sort of dun-dun-dun, how does this work? How does this fit in? I don't think it's an accident that she looks so much like Tech. Mm. Oh, really? Hmm. I don't, like, she wears the same glasses. With the glasses, yeah, yeah, yeah. She has a sort of somewhat similar demeanor as far as being a little more, uh, you know... Less emotional. Less emotional, sure. Yeah, more, that's more a good way like, to put more it. Like, uh, I, was thinking, I was thinking as he's getting on the ship at the beginning of the season series, it's a bit like Sheldon in that he's unaware of Yeah, I mean, he, he seems to be almost uh, almost an avatar for people on the autistic spectrum, right? Like, he, he seems to be, like, a little unable to read the emotions of other people and stuff like that and very much focused on what he finds interesting. And, you know, as, as a, a parent to a, a child who is on the autistic spectrum, it, I found that very identifiable. Um, but I don't think it's a coincidence that she reminds me so much of Tech. I have a suspicion that the way that they're going with this is that as it plays out over next season, eventually Emery Carr will replace Tech on the Bad Batch and maybe even Fee. Because it is a bit of a male-centric group. They have Omega, of course. She's a little girl. They don't really have a female dynamic. I think adding those two to the Bad Batch to sort of replenish after the death of Tech makes sense. Yeah. Because if they come back from that mission and they go back to the planet um, and they say, you know, hey, we're ready to retire, uh, you know, things have gone bad for us or whatever. They end up going back to, to you know, uh, the paradise planet that they were on and they tell her, hey, Tech died. And you'd think she's going to be like, to hell with that. I'm joining the fight, right? Yeah. Unless you know? she doesn't end up like Private Velasquez from Aliens, you know? yeah for me i had um this note here that you know i um i think that this show is is trying to sort of you know bridge that that sort of gap between you know you know some of it's for the kiddos you know it's kid friendly um and some of it is like oh okay like you know, their parents can be watching with them and be like, oh, there you go. There's, there's Krennic. Oh, look, there's Salgura, like stuff that the, the kiddos may not catch. And the, you know, let's assume that, that tech is permanently gone here. The, you know, tech is gone aspect of, uh, of this and in making sure that, um, that Omega understands that they're like, we, we can't go back for him. He didn't, he didn't make it. Going with that uh, explanation with the child makes this feel like you know this is a uh, an afternoon special that you you chase it with some Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan right and you learn your kids real young that like sometimes the good guys don't come back it, it yeah. feels like a, a a learning moment for them that I think to the show's credit is a bit more than some of the uh, you know episodic hijinks that they've gotten into like they're they're leading somewhere which is which is nice. Yeah, what's the, what's the intended audience for this show, though? Like, is it is it meant to be like teenage, you know, young adult kind of? I would have said teen there. tweens. Teen tweens would have been like about as low as you'd want to go because it it's not it's not bloodless and it's certainly not not you know violent. I don't know. I mean, it's. I would have said I feel comfortable with a kid who is like double digits at least ten, twelve, something like that. Before I I'd, I'd want them to getting into this. Like it's it can be a little intense. 
Mm-hmm. It's funny because, I mean, Clone Wars ostensibly was created for a younger audience. But as that series went on, there were certainly episodes that were pretty psychologically heavy. Like, I don't know that I feel comfortable with a smaller child watching them. Like, some pretty upsetting stuff in there. Mm-hmm. But um, good quotes. Not great. The show's never, like, the best for quotes. But there's some good stuff in there. Uh, you know, Tex, final sign-off line, when have we ever followed orders? Oh, that was a great one. <laughs> I love text succinct lines. This is not ideal. That was great. I love just, you know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Saw Guerrera, the most Saw Guerrera line ever. Sacrifices have to be made for the greater good. That's his mentality, right? Like, so what if, so what if you lose some people? So what if some clones die? Like, I, I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, the galaxy has changed and so have we. It's time to put being soldiers behind us for good, Hunter. That's what he says before Omega is taken. And then after she's taken, we are going to get her back, and we don't stop searching until we do. So that's the, the sort of sign-off line. Mm-hmm. And that's your, that's your basically your, you know, tagline for season three. We are going to get her back, and we don't stop searching until we do. Yeah. I love that they go to Ord Mantell and then are, like, surprised when Sid screws them over. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was the, that was the kind of the, the like... WTF moment of this episode like she was essentially and not veiled, like not veiled threatening them over the last few episodes like you better come back here if you don't come back here I'm gonna turn you over I know some stuff about you guys I could get you into real trouble and then they go there and they're like I can't believe Sid betrayed us and like you can't yeah I did think that was odd when when he said we'll go back to Org Mantel like like before Hunter said that right yeah like, maybe you maybe sure? don't do that. Maybe, are you maybe sure? don't do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even I'm thinking don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. Dum, um, dum, so dum. we were at the end of it. Uh, overall, what did you guys think of the season? I think I always enjoyed okay. uh, the, the show. I, I don't think it was must-see television, um, but I, I like where it fits. It's got a, a nice, comfortable uh, sort of you know, niche that I think it, it fills for me. Yeah. Yeah. It was all right. Yeah. I, I, I like the animated portion of the, the star Wars universe. I always have, mm-hmm. I think it doesn't get quite as much credit. There was actually, there was one part where, you know, the animation has definitely come a long way from when we started with clone wars. But there was one part where they, where they land the ship in the forest and then they're, they're going to top the rail car and they're going to, they're going to go across. And I was just looking at the animation of the trees and the, some of the background settings and stuff. and was just like, God, those are beautiful trees. Like, they really have done a beautiful job. There's one scene where they're inside the base and it's dimly lit and it's mostly in shadows. And I thought, you know, if I took my glasses off and was, you know, 10 feet away from the screen, it would look pretty close. It would look pretty close as far as the quality of the, the types of, of, you know, the way they're using dynamic lighting and, and stuff like that. It, it's, it's, it's a great looking show. It definitely does, you know, skew a little bit younger. And so therefore it's not necessarily for the three of us, but I, I do really enjoy it and I'm glad it exists. And I'm, I'm glad that they're telling stories in this part of this time that we really hadn't had before. Right. Cool. All right. Let's move on to the watch list then. <laughs> okay. Go. I'll go All right. first. All right. So I mentioned last week, I knew there was something that was coming on May the 4th for, of course, uh, May the 4th be with you. I knew there was a Star Wars property coming to Disney Plus, and I couldn't remember what it was. I went and looked it up, and I found out what it was. It's the Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures. So 
they have started putting these little like mini like three minute episodes up on YouTube. The actual series is going to start on Disney Plus on May the fourth. Uh, I jokingly was calling it Padawan Patrol because it's that's what it feels like <laughs> to me. Like it really does feel like when I watched it, I was like, God, this is Paw Patrol, but with like lightsabers. It's really funny. Um, I think I saw this on Disney Today though. Was it up already? That's, yeah, that's I, saw, I saw the tile sitting there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I was, yeah, I, I, I went to have a look at it and I was just like, is this something that we should like watch? And like, there's no way in hell. Like it's, it's, it skews very much. This is more like Paw Patrol, Bubble Guppies. This is not, this is not for oh, us. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it also killed me. I was, I could not stop laughing at it. I'm like, who had the idea to do a story based around these younglings and they're being like mentored by Yoda, and I'm like, don't they all get massacred by? Yeah, <laughs> like... yeah, yeah. <laughs> now... By the way, tale, Tales of the Jedi is what I saw on today. It was the, the oh yeah, Ahsoka, we saw that Ahsoka one already. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah we that. saw that one. Um, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing because obviously, uh, you know, Yoda is is very old by the time we see him in, you know, he dies in Return of the Jedi. He's over 800 years old. Mm -hmm. They could be telling a story from Yoda. But isn't Grogu like 50 years old or something like that? Well, that's it, right? But when we see Yoda in this little clip that I've put into our our show notes here, Yoda pops up and he looks like old Yoda from, from Clone Wars. But he could have been looking like that for, you know, 400 years. So they don't really give you a strict timeline as to where this fits. Maybe it will fit in. Uh, more logically if you if you sit down and watch it but um yeah like i just couldn't help but like giggle at the notion that they created this sort of kids show around these like you know these little you know little jedi younglings that are all hanging out and they're learning the ways of the force and they're going on little adventures and stuff like that i'm like okay sure this seems pretty unlikely but okay and then i was like but uh, depending on where they fit in the timeline are all these kids massacred on order 66 day like what's 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 the deal here that's not good but yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I appreciate that they're they're aiming these different shows. We just talked about how Bad Batch might be aimed sort of at that more tween teen group. This one's clearly aimed at the more you know uh, four, five, six year old kind of kind of group. Uh, and, I, and I'm glad that they have a show, and hopefully, it gets more kids who fo- who follow and enjoy Star Wars. But uh, um, I don't think I have to worry about watching this one and missing out. The other thing on my watch list this week was the trailer drop this week for a movie that's coming out later this year called Asteroid City. Asteroid City is the uh, is the next Wes Anderson movie. Uh, I'm a big fan of Wes Anderson's direction and, and uh, storytelling. And uh, this one kind of fits our milieu. It's, uh, it's basically about a group of these, uh, you know, space watchers uh, in this sort of typical Wes Anderson weirdness kind of way who uh, are, are basically, you know, out at this event and they think they see a spaceship and then this sort of stuff about, you know, was it a spaceship? Are they really aliens? What's sort of going on? Oh, I see. Uh, it's, it's a fun trailer. It's a funny trailer. If you like Wes Anderson. So is it Owen North and Bill Murray and all those guys? And it Edward is, Norton and... <laughs> it is a killer cast. I, I was really like blown away by the number of people who are in it. Um, if you, uh, let's just see if I can call it up quickly here, but, uh, towards the end here, they show, um, a list of people who's in it and it's like bonkers. Cause it's like, not only is it all the people you'd expect, but it's also a lot of other people that, uh, that hadn't worked previously with Wes Anderson. Hmm. Anyway, movie's coming June 16th. Yep. 
but yeah, it's like it's Margot Robbie, it's like Edward Norton, it's uh, Tom Hanks is in it. Like mm-hmm. it's it's just this like Murderers Row, Scarlett Johansson's in it. Um, plus a lot of the regular sort of people who are in you know the Wes Anderson universe. Uh, Tony Revolori. Um, yeah, anyway, it's uh, it looks like a lot of fun, and I don't know if everybody's had the opportunity. Wes Anderson, for a lot of people, you know, he may not be in that like got to go see him in the movie theater kind of person. You know, they want to go see blockbusters, they want to see certain things. Uh, I've seen a couple of Wes Anderson's movies in the theater, and I definitely feel like it's worth it. He's a really interesting filmmaker. He has such an eye for detail and stuff that's really cool. Okay, here's the list. Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Adrian Brody, Leif Schreiber, Hope Davis, Stephen Park, Rupert Friend, Maya Hawke, Steve Carell, Matt Dillon, Hong Chow, who just got nominated for an Oscar, Willem Dafoe, Margot Robbie, J- Jake Ryan, he was on um, uh, White Lotus, Tony Rivalori, and Jeff Goldblum. Like, that's the, the primary cast. That's bonkers. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So again, people love working with him. He's a really interesting filmmaker, and uh, yeah, I, I I think I might try and catch this one in the theater. I like uh, I like his movies, and I think this looks like fun. Mm-hmm. It definitely yeah, has seen a lot of his movies in the theaters too. So not not in the recent ones, though, but the previous ones like Darjeeling yeah. Tea and you know Royal Tenenbaums and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. cool. I still haven't made it all the way through the aquatic one. <laughs> <laughs> Life Aquatic. Yeah, it definitely has that uh, Wes Anderson aesthetic to it, doesn't it? Like, you don't yeah. even oh, have yeah. to put his name on that. You you kind of know by looking at it. Oh, it's it's unmistakable. Both the, the way that it looks and just his dialogue is so crisp and quick and, you know, and deadpan. And there's just, just a real vibe to it that, uh, yeah, that really just makes it clear it's a Wes Anderson movie. But, uh, but it's not for everybody, but I like it. I think it's funny. Uh, and the last thing I had is just a quick recap. I did finally sit down and watch Bullet Train, as I said last week that I was going to, since it popped up on Amazon Prime here. And uh, so uh, myself and number one son sat down and uh, and watched it. And uh, yeah, blew up real good. It was good. It was it was not uh, it was not high art, but damn, it was it was entertaining. It was funny. Uh, uh, you know, smart and and just you know at times kind of campy and and, and silly, uh, but. But really it does good. hold up well. I watched it again this weekend too, because and then I realized because I when I saw it in the theaters, of course it was typical, you know, late, late, late show, and I nodded off near the end there. I didn't, I didn't remember the crane tra- train crash, but I remember the, the after part. So yeah, that that whole sort of CGI of Brad Pitt like flying through the air, that part <laughs> I, d- I did not remember. But but I love the banter between the two. Um, oh, the brothers, yeah, yeah, the yeah. brothers, the twins, yeah, the twins. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I didn't realize when I watched it at the time that that's the guy from Kick Ass, right? Yeah, that's Aaron Taylor Johnson. That's yeah, uh, yeah. yeah he's Kick Ass. He was Quicksilver in the Avengers movie, uh, Avengers: right. Age of Ultron. Right. He's been in a ton of stuff. There's uh, strong rumors going around that he might get cast as the next James Bond, and I can totally oh, really? see it. Wow. Totally yeah. see it. Um, yeah, because it's him and Brian Tyree Henry from Atlanta, yeah, who I love, yeah, and he was also in yeah. the Eternals. Um, yeah, this is just, again, it's one of those ones where you're like, oh my god, that person's in this. Oh my god, that person's in this. Oh my god, that person's in this. Um, you know, Zazie Beats from Atlanta shows up as well, and, and from Deadpool 2. Um, and, but she's in the movie. She's the one with the, the needles full of, of snake venom. She shows up and is only in the movie for like four minutes. Uh, Karen Fukuhara from The Boys. 
is the the trolley operator the and again she she only speaks uh japanese and I, I kept waiting for her to like pull off the wig and like start fighting people or something. But that was the role she was. I was, I was, I thought that was such a great little red herring. Cause I was like waiting for her to show up and be something, but no, she was just the trolley operator. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, and you know, Joey King was the, the sort of the, the main villain was really good. And yeah, there's just, there's, there's a lot to like there. It was, again, it was not, um, you know, wasn't a cinematic masterpiece or anything, but as far as like grab your bag of popcorn, it was, perfect yeah it's fun, a fun movie it was as you know i was trying to think last week when how to describe it, it was sort of i mean you know, it, it was yeah it's a good farce for sure yeah yeah i mean it's it, it's what if everything could possibly go wrong on a job right like it's just everything that could go wrong for the brad pitt big character does and yeah it's it's, it's funny mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. next time take the gun okay next time take the gun <laughs> that's there's a good moral in this one too always take the gun that's right what do you got for us honey I have uh, some little anime shorts that Capcom, the video game maker, has been putting out that are really just sort of uh, nice little bits of advertisement for the new Resident Evil 4 remake that's coming out on all the video game consoles. And this one, as this article here says, is, you know, what if Resident Evil was a 1970s anime? So it's all really sort of calm and delightful until it goes kind of horribly wrong, but in a kind of child-friendly way, I guess. Uh, it's going to be hard to describe the aesthetic. It feels uh, a little bit like My Neighbor Totoro. It feels a little bit like Miyazaki, you know, um, Speed Racer kind of era type stuff. But it's cute. Kind of cute to see something that is ostensibly, you know, rated M for mature and, uh, you know, uh, guns and violence and gore and stuff turned into something kind of uh, approachably you know, for kiddos. To be clear, the game itself is not for kiddos, but <laughs> the little anime shorts they're about a minute long each there's there's was only one at the time that i grabbed this link but i think there's uh, several of them now out on youtube all right well i must have fallen into a time hole because because it is as we record it's still march 30th right thursday mm-hmm. march 30th and so friday march 31st is when a lot of these things are supposed to come out but for some reason the tetris movie showed up today oh. uh, just before we started recording i watched the first 20 minutes or first 10 minutes of actually of of tetris and and Pretty much the whole story gets revealed in the first 10 minutes. So I don't know what they're going to do for another hour and 50 minutes. But it's a uh, pretty, pretty, pretty interesting story. I mean, it's an interesting story because, you know, if you're into video games and stuff like that, it was sort of the game that um, made the Game Boy what it is and kind of sort of, you know, everybody, everybody kind of learned Tetris at the same time. But just in the first eight minutes, they, they covered quite a bit of ground already, right? So that's kind of interesting. And But like I said, it's not supposed to come out t- tomorrow. That said, I mean, also... Um, Big Door Prize, which I believe was supposed to, was listed as coming out tomorrow. This is a story with Chris O'Dowd. We might have talked about him last week, um, but it's about a uh, uh, like a arcade machine that shows up in a in a in the corner grocery store, which tells you what the pers- purpose of your life is. Mm, yeah, I saw the trailer for that. Right, and so the conflict for Chris o- the Chris O'Dowd characters. He's a history teacher, and and he's trying to tell his students in class, you know, like. You decide what your future is going to be. You don't go to some gumball machine and, um, you know, so clearly you know, everybody goes to the gumball machine and, and, uh, and puts their, their dollar in and gets their, their, uh, their life, uh, read for them. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I'm not going to spoil what, what his result was, but yeah, you can obviously guess that he went into the machine as well. Um, but yeah, so that that's an interesting one, and again, those those stories have dropped, and and also the um, 
the show that I'm watching called um, Tomorrow. What, Hello Tomorrow. What's it called again? Oh, the Apple TV Plus one. Yeah, the one I was talking about last week. I think the last episode just dropped today. Like I started watching last week's episode. I was catching up, and then I noticed that the next episode just started loading. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, what is wrong with this picture? Because like this stuff isn't supposed to load till tomorrow. But whatever. I'll watch it anyway. Yeah, take the win. <laughs> Take the win for sure. When life gives you free stuff, take the free stuff and run. Take the always take the gun next time. That's always take the gun. That's right. Next time, take the gun. Cool. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, Jonathan, if people will get in touch with you, where will they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News or on YouTube at youtube.com slash at JPK. And Jaime, if people will get in touch with you, I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right. My name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine, the Mastodon machine, all the things, um, YouTube's, everything. Like, that's how you find me. So until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. had a special guest today tammy was going to come and come on the show but she's uh make it after all what what but did she want to, to address oh just no just she's missing being on podcasts and you know i was just chatting with her earlier because because actually somebody posted a story in in the I think somebody posted a story saying that that toronto is one of the worst uh places to be in a zombie apocalypse there's a list that came out this morning because it's hard to get into or out of yeah, I don't know. Just because we're hopeless, you know. But mm-hmm. and, and my we're my poorly, point was really armed compared to our southern neighbors. Well, my point was, didn't we just go through a whole um, three-year trial, you know, <laughs> test run? Um, yeah, lots of zombies here. But um, yeah, just where's that list here? Yeah, somebody posted it in in one of our work chats today. I asked her if she watched The Last of Us, and and uh, if she's caught up on Picard. Here we go. Toronto is one of the worst cities. Canada to survive the zombie oh, apocalypse. Wow. Okay, come on. Something was written by somebody from BC. <laughs> yeah, so Edmund, So the top 10 cities to survive are Edmonton, Saskatoon, Guelph, Calgary, Regina, uh, Winnipeg, Kelowna, Sudbury, Kingston, and Abbotsford. Is that because there's nobody, nobody there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Well, Abbotsford has lots of people there, but... Well, I mean, Edmonton is where they shot The Last of Us, right? Or Alberta? The, yeah, they shot in Alberta and then up in the mountains in Alberta, too. Like, they, yeah. Yeah. Some some of it was Calgary, some of it was up, uh, yeah, up in the mountains. So the top 10 worst ones, St. John, New Brunswick is number one. Belleville, Ontario, Jonathan, number two. Uh, 
Trois-Rivières, Montreal, Sherbrooke, Saguenay. Number seven is Quebec, or is Toronto. Hmm. Moncton, Lethbridge, and Victoria. Victoria, why? Because it's an island? And you think if you went to an island, you'd have a greater chance of surviving? Yeah, but also, if you're stuck on there with the zombies, it's hard to get off, because you have to go across the strait, and that's a long way to go, and not exactly swimmable. Well, there's also that do zombies float story argument. Mm, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the consistent theme, I, I'd be curious to know the, the methodology, but the consistent theme for those ones that are on the negative side are, they are populous, and they are... Um, there's nothing, there's no, like, natural land barriers or anything to sort of keep, like, it's hard to protect any of them, too, right? Mm-hmm. Toronto is mm-hmm. just a big, flat piece of land. Like, there's there's nothing good about it as far as yeah barricading people in or out or anything like yeah. that. Like, it, it, yeah. I could see why that would not be an ideal defensible position. Definitely. Released a Kraken, I mean. I found a site that says the Kraken's magic number for the wild card seventh position is six wins if i'm reading this correctly to guarantee the spot so it's any combination of those for them or by the teams that are chasing them right yeah mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of like you know does not control its own destiny for like number one spot a whole bunch of other things would have to happen to help them but it looks like yeah. the simplest thing is just just win six and you'll be fine yeah Anyway, you slice it. It was it's an impressive second season for that team. Like they did, uh, they did really well by by making it this far, this fast. You know, they're obviously, you know, uh, Vegas as their expansion cousin set a high bar, but you know, they're they looks like they're going to sneak in there. And you know, I mean, five points up on the team that's that's outside looking in, which is Calgary. So it's uh, and then you know, season's winding down. We're down to the last like six, eight games for most teams. So. It's looking good. Yeah, I'm looking at the Leafs' magic number, and so uh, already, you know, clinched at least playoffs, uh, at least, if I understand this, at least the third third place in Atlantic Divisional winner, and the magic number is five to get uh, the the number two uh, slot seed. I don't know what term is used here. Well, yeah, it would be the number two spot in the Atlantic, right. which would translate to, like, fourth or third in the Eastern Conference, by the way, they do that stupid new newer playoff rankings. So right. even though, even if they finished above New York, even if they pulled a couple extra points out and finished above New Jersey, they'd still end up having to play Tampa Bay because of this way this stupid system is set up. So it's pretty much locked in at this point. The way that the playoffs are going to go for the Leafs is they're going to play Tampa Bay in the first round, if they can win a few more games down the stretch, they'll have home ice advantage if the series goes uh, the distance. And then if they win that series, they will play the the winner of the Boston versus Pittsburgh, Florida, New York Islanders series, which at this point you'd have to assume is Boston, considering Boston already clinched the number one uh, seed in the entire NHL, including the uh, President's Trophy uh, today. Uh, the fastest team to 50 wins in NHL history. They're 58 and 12. Uh, they are historically one of the greatest teams that has ever stepped on the ice for an NHL season. <laughs> they look Who's like they're going to be a Boston. Boston this oh, year. Really? Hmm. Boston is going to be a 60 win team. There are only like a handful of 60 win teams in the history of the NHL. And they've also, <laughs> like, they've cooled down, as strange as that sounds. They were playing, they were playing 860 hockey for the first half of the year they were winning 86 percent of the games they played 
That is bonkers. Like, this Boston team is incredible. So, I mean, they are hands-down favorites to try and win the Stanley Cup. And so Toronto has its work cut out for it if they think that they're going to go toe-to-toe with first Tampa, which is a tough, tough opponent who's taken them to school a couple times already. And then, even if they squeak through that, have to play Boston so that this they're going to win a cup. They're going to earn it. But hey, baseball season started today, too. Yeah. I may. I want a prediction. How are the, how are the M's going to do this year? Oh, no, they're, they're currently locked in battle with the Guardians. 0-0 bottom of the eighth is what I'm uh, looking mm-hmm. at here. So, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. It, it's, you know, you, you worry about having the, the sort of hangover from last year. It, like, mm. you know, merely getting into the playoffs was, was a huge sort of moral victory to go along with the real victories. And you don't want to see a, a slump after that, right? Um, so, boy, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he, they ended last year with a. Uh, it's no longer crick. It's no longer baseball. It's turned into a game of cricket. Lost to the Astros, like yeah, bazillion innings. Yeah, so I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't know. But everybody's sure excited about it. So there's a there's a different yeah, sort of uh, vibe in the air around the Mariners. Yeah, there seems to be a fair bit of uh, of of love for the Blue Jays this year because they. You know, obviously we lost to the Mariners in the in that play-in game, but uh, but you know had a pretty competitive season in what is hands down the toughest place in in baseball to win, which is the American League East. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I was looking at the prognostications on things like ESPN and and some other sites this week to sort of see where they think uh, Toronto will sort of fit, and they're saying that yeah they they predict that New York, Toronto, and Tampa Bay will all make the playoffs out of one division, and that. Uh, even Baltimore looks pretty good. It's really only Boston that people are kind of writing off a little bit this year. Mm. It's it's going to be an absolute slugfest in in the AL East. But then when those teams play against the Kansas Cities, the Detroits, the the Oaklands, the the LA Angels, that's where they'll clean up. Right? They'll just they'll just kill those teams all year. So. I think it's going to be interesting. This uh, I must admit, I'm I have been a little bit soft on baseball the past few years, just because I find um, all the same criticisms that everybody has: games are too long, seasons too long. There's just there's too much and and not enough excitement. You know, playoffs are always fun, but you know, only especially if your team's actually half decent. But I like some of the stuff that I've seen from the the pitch clock, the bigger bases, eliminating the shift. Uh, I like what they're trying to do. I think more sports should be a little more aggressive. There was talk for a while in, in hockey, which would have been early 2000s, maybe 2004, five, um, when I was covering sports uh, professionally. They were talking about, you know, maybe the NHL needs to do some stuff to change the way the game is, to make it more exciting. Uh, they talked about making the nets bigger. They talked about, you know, changing some of the configurations changing equipment, doing some different stuff. In the end, they did none of it. I really think that, I really hope that this works. And I really hope that it works so that people from other sports can be like, oh, it's okay to change. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be a bad thing to evolve. I mean, look at the NFL. I mean, you're an NFL fan. The NFL has changed dramatically over the last 10, 12 years, right? Mm-hmm. T- 10 mm-hmm. years ago, we were still seeing headhunting hits. We were still seeing, you know, some really dangerous play. And a lot of quarterbacks getting hurt and, 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 and over the past 10 years, 10, 15, 10, 12 years, we've really seen some of the rules they put in place change the way the game is played. I mean, the running back position has just become like, 
completely different than it was 10 years ago. Uh, even tight ends, even safeties, like some of the positions are just completely changed in value from what they used to be because they've made some of these changes. Uh, I hope that baseball's changes, and these are really aggressive, but also well-researched. Like they did these minor league experiments with this stuff. I, th- I heard an interview with Rob Manfred, the, the baseball commissioner the other day. They played 4,000 games in the minor leagues trying all this stuff before they moved it up to the majors. Like they're not messing around. Like they're not they're not going into this lightly. They've tried all this stuff. They've tried it game after game after game after game. They've seen all the variables, all the complications, and they're and they're doing it. And I hope it works. I hope it's great. And I hope that other leagues are like, actually, that's not the worst idea. Maybe it's time for the NBA to, you know, raise the hoop by six inches. Maybe it's time to, you know, like maybe there's stuff that you can do that'll make some of these games more challenging. Maybe they need to move the three-point line out. Maybe in hockey, they do need to make the nets taller or or bend the posts outwards or something to make, you know, more scoring opportunities. You know, there's there's always interesting things you can do. You know, maybe, you know, certain players can't leave certain zones, you know, like there's 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 ways that you can be innovative and, and really make your sports better. And I, and I hope this works for baseball. Yeah, I think the you hit the nail on the head with was the stuff like the NFL has tried to innovate around, you know, what is going to put the best product on the field, the fans. And so, you know, you have, you know, pretty average garbage quarterbacks playing in the league, like the bottom feeders of the league who are putting up stats that are way better than some hall of famers from the eighties. Right. And it's because they they adapted the game to make it a lot more um, friendly to the offense because people wanted to see that. And baseball has, you know, this year notwithstanding, been historically really obsessed with making sure that you have reverence for a guy who played in 1910. Mm-hmm. Like his his stat can never be broken uh, because if it is, then like, what's the point of the game? Apparently, <laughs> it seems to be the feeling versus, you know, um. I don't yeah, show me an entertaining product. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know what happened in, in the Blue Jays game today, but uh, they won 10 to nine and just they won 10 to nine. It was a slugfest, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds pretty, pretty exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, slugfest can be boring too. And, and pitching duels can be super exciting. I'm not saying everything needs to be, you know, uh, 55 to 49 or something ridiculous like that. Just like, you know, it's kind of nice to see some, some production. Uh, you see, see some scores. In, in sports. And I, I do think that things like, you know, innovating on how fans can, can interact with the, the players and the product is only for the benefit. Yeah. No, I think it's, uh, <laughs> when you said some quarterbacks are some mediocre quarterbacks are putting up historic seasons, was I, was I alone in thinking Kirk Cousins? Did you immediately go to Kirk Cousins? <laughs> he, he, you know, he's one of the, he's, he's one of those guys who'd like, you know, uh, People will pay him money, it, it flirts with elite, but then, you know, crumples. But you look at his stats, you are like, wow, put his stats up against, I don't know, Dan Marino or Joe Montana. And you'd be like, oh, my God, this this guy smokes them. <laughs> He's putting yeah. up like 4,000 yards uh, season type stuff, which would have been monstrous in the old game where you could you could mug a guy. And it was totally legal, whereas now it's like, don't put hands on him. That's past interference. You know, we, we want yeah. to encourage it makes life difficult for the defense and defenders always complain, but people want to see, you know, they want to see highlights. They don't want to see, uh, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. Yeah, no. And it's true. I mean, you know, think about the number of, uh, 
horse collar tackles and like head hits, helmet to helmets and all that stuff that, that, you know, that was a big part of the league 10 years ago. And, you know, but I mean, it was, it was detrimental to the game in the long run because you were getting these amazing players coming out and they were getting so badly hurt that they were only playing like, I think at one point a few years ago, the, these statistics said like the average, uh, you know, NFL career was like, you know, 1.2 seasons or something because guys were just coming in and getting absolutely destroyed. And that was it. Their career was over. I'm like, that's the, like, what's the fun in that? Like, don't you want the best players playing for as best as long as they can? Of course, it's meant to be a physical and and intense sport, but like. Uh, not at the expense of like long-term enjoyment. I, if I, if we draft an amazing talented person, I want to see that person do amazing talented things for the rest of their career. I want to see them get destroyed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, hopefully baseball is the same way. I mean, hopefully, you know, I, I'm sure it'll take some, some adaptation. Like I, I, I really, I'm excited to, to see some of these games. I mean, I don't think this 10, nine game we saw today is, is, is necessarily an aberration just because you know, when the pitchers are feeling off, but they still have to keep up with the pitch clock, when, you know, pitchers can lock or when hitters can lock in and they know that there's no shift against them now so they can just drive stuff straight up, you know, in between the players. Uh, when the bases are bigger and the space between the bags is, is less now, they're going to see more stolen bases. Like it could make for, it should make for a more interesting product and a faster moving one so that when you decide you're going to sit down and either watch a ball game or listen to it on the radio or go to the park and see a game, you're not in for a four and a half hour commitment. You're, you, you hopefully are going to get, you know, uh, when I was, when I was covering the Jays back in the day, my favorite day of the week was the day that Roy Halliday pitched because Roy Halliday was a freaking machine. He pitched so efficiently that the average Roy Halliday game, I think worked out to be like two hours and eight minutes or something, two hours and 10 minutes. Like he was just he was, you know, a great strikeout pitcher, but he was not afraid to try and induce ground balls. And he just got into his groove and just started throwing. And he was like a pitch clock pitcher before the pitch clock existed. If more baseball was like that, if I could watch a ball game in two, two and a half hours, I'll watch more baseball for sure. Yeah, I think I think finding a way to make your your league's product better is is great. I mean, look look at how. Um, like the NBA has done a really good job of making the stars, the stars, uh, regardless of which team they're on. And mm -hmm. some of that has definitely helped that unlike the NFL, where you really can't see a person's face, you definitely can see the face mm -hmm. of the athlete in the NBA at all times. And there's only, you know, five of those guys uh, for any one team um, on the court at any given time. And, you know, baseball should definitely take advantage of that, that like there's only nine of those guys uh, for any given team on the field at any given time. And you can see their face and, um, you know, we, we're probably veering into, um, you know, in this age of the Internet, why can't I just watch my team whenever I want? What I have to be like, OK, so these ones are on Apple TV Plus and these ones are on ESPN. These ones are Root Sports. And hopefully I don't get a blackout. Uh, a yeah. local thing, uh, which is which is just silly. I'm like, why does it matter that I'm sitting physically close to Seattle versus sitting in Texas? Like, I shouldn't have a different experience if I was in Zimbabwe or if I was in, you know, London. Like, just let me pay you money to watch your product. How, mm -hmm. how hard is that? And, and I know it's contracts and everything, but, you know, um, I think the time has come to say, you know, just let the people 
give you money to uh, to watch your fine product let them enjoy a brisk game you know and and not feel like they're in for kind of a a slog and just you know find ways to innovate and if it doesn't work out that's fine just change it next year you know yeah learn and adjust yeah, I, I mean, like I say, I, I hope I hope it works well. I, I was I was contemplating tweeting this week because I was really really frustrated. I, I the NHL changed. I got you probably weren't as big an NHL fan before your uh, city got a team, but this playoff system that they have that focuses on like these rivalries, these divisional rivalries, just came in uh, six seven years ago. Like it's not that not that old. Before that, it was much more like the nba where it was sort of you know uh one plays eight two plays seven you know they don't do that anymore they don't they they changed it a number of years ago to because they wanted to focus on tickets right well they want they want rivalries they want teams to hate each other because it's good for business but they also it was meant to cut down on costs right because they wanted teams that were geographically somewhat close so early in the playoffs they're not spending as much money i think on travel and doing that or nhl i feel so sorry for them (laughs) yeah they're poor poor guys on their private planes but they decided they wanted to do that so this whole run where the maple leafs have have you know started from the bottom and gotten to a very competitive place they've been because they changed this system consistently matched against boston and uh tampa bay to whom they keep getting pants because those two teams are like all three of those teams are amongst the top you know eight teams in the league but somebody's got to go because they play each other. And so, you know, it's just been uh, an unfortunate circumstance. And, you know, I'm obviously I'm whinging as a Leafs fan just because it's frustrating to watch a team that's really competitive. Not like the whole idea is you play hard in the regular season, you get rewarded with a good position, and then you play a team that is commensurately weaker than you so that eventually the cream rise and you get the best matchups later when the when the focus is on and there's more intensity it's closer to the you know who's going to make the final four who's going to make the the stanley cup final unfortunately we're not getting that like we're kind of getting cheated out of that like in the first round we're gonna get toronto versus tampa bay those are two great teams one of them is going home in the first round the second round we're gonna get boston versus probably assuming they don't get knocked off which would be really really surprising it'll be boston versus either toronto or tampa which again second round that's it's not exactly the highest stakes. By the time you get to the Eastern Conference Finals, you will probably get one of those three teams versus one of the teams that comes out of uh, out of the the um, other division in the East. It, it probably won't be as good a matchup as you could have had if you'd had one of those other matchups later on. And in the end, you're also putting those three great teams against each other to beat the tar out of each other. So that actually makes it maybe a little easier for one of those weaker teams to sort of sneak up and, and knock them off later on. I just don't think it's a very sound way to do business. I got to be honest. I think the way the NBA does things right now, I hope that's one that the NHL is paying attention to. I really wish there was less ego involved in planning these sports because a good idea is a good idea. And a good idea that's working right now is the way the NBA is doing it, where they changed their playoff format a few years ago so that one teams one through six in each conference get a playoff spot. Teams seven, eight, nine, and ten go into a play-in. It is a uh, it's it's sort of a uh, seven plays ten, eight plays nine. If seven wins over ten, they get that seventh spot. If ten wins, they play a second game, and then it's basically it's like it's a you know an aggregate, and then. That way you get two more teams in the playoffs, 
or play in anyways. So there's more, the more sort of focus because it's a winner game, one game winner take all, which is always the most fun thing in sports. And then on top of that, it also keeps more teams in the playoff play in mix so that, you know, teams don't just tank or throw away their season or not entertain their fans down the stretch by just saying like, well, to hell with it. We're just going to go for a good draft pick. I think the NHL would be absolutely better if it went to that kind of strategy. But egos prevent those things. They're like, well, we're not going to do what they do because just because that's what they do. No, a good idea is a good idea. Do good things. Make smart decisions. Don't just say like, well, we don't want to do that because that's what they do. Do things that are going to make your sport better. Did I knock you out with my excitement? Nope. <laughs> no, I think it was well, well said. I, I, again, I just, I, I, I especially somebody who, who did this for a living for a while there, it just, uh, it bothers me so much. That's why I'm really excited about what baseball did. They admitted even the have you seen the commercials, Jaime? The ones with Brian Cranston, where they're basically like, "We know baseball sucked before, but it doesn't suck anymore." Like it's a really strange tack for a sport to take to say, like, "We kind of sucked, but now we don't." But they're kind of admitting, like, "Yeah, our games were too long, our games were too slow, our games weren't exciting enough." Here's what we're doing differently. You know, like, don't be ashamed of those things. Hey, I want to make a better product for you so that if you spend your time and or money on this, it's going to be better for you is not something to be feeling guilty about or bad about. And, oh, it's not exactly the same as it always was. Well, you know what? It's never going to be. The technology improves. The athletes improve. The health improves. The you know physical stature of human beings change over time. Like, you're never going to have a one-to-one comparison no matter what you do. So get over yourselves and make a good product or go die in a corner somewhere. Mm-hmm. Thank you. This has been my soapbox. Yeah. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed my TED talk. Yeah. Listen, I got to jump. All righty. Talk to you guys right. next week. Yes. Only, only two week. shows. Only two shows left. Yay. Okay. Two, two, like two episodes, you mean, or two no, shows? No, no, left? Two, two shows. Two shows, three weeks. Three weeks. Okay. All right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to you later. All right. See you guys. Bye. Talk to you later. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.